0: I read you. Where are you?
1: Flying blind on a rocket cycle. Flying
0: blind
1: on a rocket cycle? And now, my friend, the first rule of Italian driving. What's behind me is not important.
0: At the beginning, when you tried the first time, the 500.
1: Ginters! Fourth is Sylvain Gintoli! Sylvain taking a second out of Tony Elias in one lap with five to go! Permission to become a complete fan? Uh, no, I am. You're late. Sorry. <laughs> go on, Sylvain. Rostrum Boy. I hope you're up early in Barlston. Come on, Caroline. I'm sure you and can shout loud me. enough. Put the bottle down. It's too early. Racing at life anything that happened before or after just
2: waiting hey 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 everybody welcome back welcome back to the show of record the show that matters and of course the show that puts you on pole position for the news the commentary and oh boy do we have some opinion for today in the world of motorcycle road racing yes back now for episode 77 uh, if this would have been last year, we could have called it. Uh, actually, no, that would have been, for Vermeulen was 71. I'm all messed up. Well, that's okay. Last week, I called show 76, the Max Neukirchner edition, the show 68. So, you know, I guess that's par for the course, right? Wow. Interesting, very interesting week uh, going on here. And we'll get to uh, all kinds of good stuff here in just a couple minutes. But uh, first, let's take care of all the administrative stuff the website as always www.rumblestriperradio.com that is where you can find all the show notes the occasional picture we throw up there Friends of the strip and uh, links for the, in all the show notes it's also where you can subscribe via iTunes or your traditional RSS reader if that's how you choose or if you just want to listen to on the site we got a player there for you as well. Email, as always, is at rumblestripperadio at gmail.com, and you can uh, hit us up over there for feedback or just want to say, hey, what's going, whatever's going on. Um, I do want to go out of my way uh, up front and thank the generous uh, donator from California uh, for donating to the multiple sclerosis ride, um, uh, bicycle ride, and that is uh, much, much appreciated, and when I... when uh, uh, when I was told how much it was, I was blown away. So thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, once again, we'll have a link in the show notes this week. So rather than asking you to donate to the show, uh, I'm going to ask that you donate to either uh, Jay or Kristen Cardinal, uh, who are doing an MS bike ride in my girlfriend's name for uh, for the MS Society. And there will be a link in the show notes where you can do so. It'll take you to the team page and you just click on either John or Kristen's page. Or I'm sorry, Jay or Kristen's page. And uh, you can uh, donate there. So once again, thank you to uh, one of my California readers, uh, li- readers, listeners who uh, who did that. So really, really, I can't can't thank you enough. That was uh, uh, quite a quite a generous donation. So um, what else we got going on at the site? Uh, I guess if you want to sign up for some music for uh, for eMusic you can still do that. I never changed that out and put in some other stuff. Um, rethinking the whole uh, new website thing once again i know that i say that all the time and well there's a number of things that are really irritating me and i've seen some really well done sites lately that are nice easy simple and i think can be done for relatively uh you know reasonably priced type of thing so we're looking at uh doing that again especially now that a uh, little cash flow is coming our way for a couple of things number one um, I guess I should say, had the good fortune of winning some money at the casino. And then you're like, dude, you're talking about needing money and can't do this and can't do that. What are you doing? Anyway, somebody gave me 40 bucks to go uh, gamble at the casino. And I said, OK. And I ended up walking out with about uh, what did I end up walking out? 350 bucks. So yeah, that was good. Uh, and then now the basketball playoffs have begun and I've already gotten a call for that. So Sunday morning at 7 a.m., I will be up at the Palace of Auburn Hills as Game 1 between uh, the Pistons and the Philadelphia 76ers gets underway. So we'll be uh, working on, pretty much have been told that any game that will be covered by TNT, which is what this game is, ABC or ESPN, I will be up there and working, uh, provided that it doesn't interfere with all the other stuff that I've got booked in in May, which is going to be a fun month. So May is going to be a very fun month for me, keeping up with you guys, keeping up with motorcycle racing and doing all the video stuff. But it's what I live for. It's the best time of the year. So, Ah, anyways, so good stuff going on, uh, that way, ton, ton of, uh, news to get to. We want to talk uh, about, um, the race at Estoril this past week. So I'm only going to talk about MotoGP because even though I have 250 and 125, I just have been lazy and haven't got to watching, even though I didn't understand the 250 race, I think was supposed to have been pretty good, um, AMA is racing this week at a barber and the AMA, well, not so much the AMA, but the Daytona Motorsports Group is making huge, uh, huge waves this year, uh, this week. And uh, the message boards are just burning up. Um, I haven't looked over at Speed TV site, but uh, I can imagine what it's like over there as well. Well, That's a really, really, really heavily moderated board. So it might be fun to go read that, try to scrub through that just to see what's got there. But based on uh, four or five other boards that I've been reading through and keeping up with stuff, um, it's going to be interesting. I think we're going to spend a majority uh, of the show or uh, my portion of the show talking about that. So MotoGP, we got uh, uh, Daytona Motorsports Group to talk about. And as promised, the return of Ray Duvall. Yep. So Ray and I uh, had a call on Wednesday night it was a rather lengthy call, and I've um, edited it down a little bit. And then, even after we were done with the call for the show, I think we ended up talking for a while. So, I think total time that he and I were catching up was almost three hours. Uh, so, pretty crazy stuff, and uh, good, good stuff. Though so some of the things we're talking about today, um, you know, some things have come out since yesterday. Well, yet yeah, Wednesday we talked Wednesday night, Thursday night. Our Thursday afternoon is when a lot of the stuff about the DMG came out, which we were expecting afterwards, but okay, that's my fault for not knowing that was coming out before. Anyways, um, so some things have changed, a little different opinion on a few things, we'll see. Um, I guess the, let's get a couple pieces of news out of the way first, I'm not as organized as I want to be, but uh, it's getting a little late here on uh, Friday afternoon, and I want to make sure I get the show out for you guys for the weekend. So, uh, oh, I also want to thank Chris Mudower. I believe I'm deciphering who that was. Chris, uh, old friend of the show, has uh, left us some feedback on the iTunes Music Store, and I do want to thank you for that, uh, Chris. And anyone else who wants to do that, if you're signed up on the iTunes Music Store, if you want to leave us some feedback there, it would be much appreciated because uh, the more feedback that's on there, the more it helps promote us within, uh, within the site. So it would be uh, much, much appreciated. So let's talk about some of the news and rumors that go along MotoGP wise. Uh, I've seen a bunch of comments of late um, about Valentino Rossi being too old for MotoGP now. Okay, the dude's 29 years old. He's anything but old. In fact, technically, he's he's pretty much in his physical prime at this point. I mean, some people say because he's been in the series for so long and in the grind for so long. That maybe his best years are past. I'm gonna say that his best years um, are coming into him just now. Um, the time between let's say 27, 28, and about 33, those are the prime years for motorcycle riding because you still have the talent. Nothing's degraded physically. You're about as good as you get as, as a as a male. It's that's pretty much your in your physical prime. Um, you know everything is is there. Uh, he's been he's been lucky in that he hasn't you know crashed his brains out like some other people. So physically he's in good shape. Uh, he certainly has all his financial stuff in order now. Um, so mentally he's there. So I, all this stuff about Valentino being too old for MotoGP garbage. It's just the, because we've had a huge influx of kids uh, over the last couple of years, and kids are saying you know twenty to twenty two, twenty three years old. I mean, it used to be not even 10 years ago, uh, unless you were 23, 25, you weren't even getting a look at MotoGP unless you were something, you know, out of the ordinary. So this whole crap about Valentino being too old for MotoGP, I don't know where it's coming from, but, you know, put down the crack pipe, please. <clears throat> uh, there's also a lot of noise going on about what is going to be going on with Nicky Hayden um, after this year because his contract with HRC is up. And you know, given some of the things, and, and we've talked about this before, you know, after Qatar, Nikki was uh, going to be lucky to get a uh, 600 Super Sport ride or form the Extreme ride in, in the AMA. Well, <laughs> oh, that's we'll, we'll get into that here in a minute. But so all kinds of places uh, um, being peaked as as what might happen. Um, some people are saying that HRC is going to get a deal done with Nikki very quickly, so that nothing drags on later into the season. Other people, you know, in the among the rumor mongers, are saying that Nikki is definitely going to be looking elsewhere. Um, certainly, the the second seed at Ducati has a huge potential for being open. Uh, you know, unless something drastically happens, as we said last week, Ant West is probably going to be looking for another. You know that seat's going to be open, and Kawasaki is willing to uh, scratch a fairly large check for that. Although Nikki doesn't really fit Kawasaki because there's a um, sponsorship conflict there between Red Bull and Monster. I'm sure something could be worked out, but I just don't see Nikki uh, over on the Kawasaki with Hopper. I just. I, I, let's just say I don't see that one going down. All right, and we'll leave it there. Um, so, Nikki, where else would Nikki go? Well, Ducati is one option, possibly. They've courted him before. Um, from a marketing standpoint, Nikki on a Ducati in America would be huge. Um, and I think I've even said that before. But the latest rumor going on is that uh, within the next buy um uh, by the USGP at Laguna, the sponsorship deal for Team KR will be set with Treasure Island and, and all the associated deals going on with that. So that'll be locked down by uh, the middle of July, and, and that will be officially announced at uh, at Laguna for that. In between those two, there'll be some negotiating going on. Again, this is according to bits and pieces you read and things and that'll come across your way. But the deal supposedly is, is that Ducati will supply engines only to Kenny Roberts team. Kenny will build chassis. So kind of like what it's been before. Kenny mm-hmm. Kenny supplies the chassis. Ducati supplies the motor. So that way Ducati's not building a complete bike. They're simply supplying a you know, the, the engine and the electronics package. Um and then that Nikki Hayden will be aboard that bike. That's some strong speculation at this point. Um so we'll see what happens with that. And then, you know, why not make it uh completely American and, and put Ben Spees on the second on the second thing cuz part of the deal is Kenny will be running two bikes next year. That's been the whole thing with the sponsor thing. Is Kenny wanted it so he could run two bikes and because you need I mean, ideally you want two riders for for information. So uh Who's going to be on the second bike? Well, theoretically, I guess Kenny Sr. or Curtis could be on there. But Curtis and Nicky don't exactly see eye to eye. So I don't see that exact. Well, not that hasn't prevented things in the past going on in MotoGP. Teammates are, you know, air quote teammates on all but a couple bikes. So who knows? We'll see what happens. But uh, I do kind of like the idea of uh, Nicky on a Kenny bike. That would be. You know, Ducati Motor, you know, Ducati could still leverage that uh, sponsorship deal or some type of co-branding type of deal, you know, KR Ducati, something like that. Um, From a Ducati standpoint, it could be a good deal because they could, uh, since Kenny's going to build a very different chassis than Ducati, they could use him uh, as a test bed or um, some of the chassis techniques that Kenny uses could work. uh, you know, and, and and the whole V4 thing, where he before he used the V4 for Honda, V4 Ducati. Granted, they're completely different motors, but general frame geometry probably is pretty close, even though it'll be completely different frame. It has no resemblance. Generals, generals, general basic dimensions would probably be about right. So, the idea would be that this whole thing would be announced uh, and presented at the USGP. Uh, at Indianapolis in mid-September. So there you go. Run with it as you will. So look for the announcement. Middle of September, USGP at in Indianapolis, Nikki Hayden on a Kenny Roberts bike, sponsored by Treasure Island and their associated deals with Ducati Power on Michelin tires. Book it. Anyways, so we'll go with that uh there was some testing going on after Esteril and uh part of that test was the fact that Honda was not testing their pneumatic valve motor still uh apparently they cannot get the power delivery correct on the bike the the uh length of the motor or, you know engine life and power are fine it's just the delivery of the power so it's a it's an engine management issue uh, and probably fueling strategy issue would would be my guess uh, who knows but the, here's the thing this is this is going to be be beyond fubar and we're we're rapidly approaching tarfu and for those of you who don't know tarfu and oh by the way since we really haven't gone over the edge in a while uh, in the language thing this does have an explicit tag. So if you have children in the car or whatever, you know, plug their ears, turn down the volume. Tarfu, things are really, okay, I'll clean it up. Things are really fouled up, okay? I'm trying to be a little better on some stuff of late. So things are really fouled up. How is it that almighty Honda and HRC and, oh, yeah, by the way, 20-some-odd years of Formula One technology on another side of the garage or another side of the engineering building can't get this motor together. That's just odd. Now, the encouraging thing from Honda's standpoint, although we'll see what happens in in China, and we need to spend some time talking about that here after this, uh, is that they've been very competitive in the last two rounds at Hareth and at Estoril. Now, Hareth is a very tight track, no real long straights, so they could get away with some stuff. Um... Estoril, you know, it has that longer straight, so it can cause some issues. However, their bikes were very, very competitive at uh, at Estoril as well. So if you can, if, if the air valve motor is an evolution of what they have now and is really, what it's really allowing them to do is have essentially better acceleration in the higher gears, especially 4th, 5th, and 6th you know, that last couple thousand RPM, they could be pretty good. In fact, it could be scary good how good that bike could be um, once they get everything dialed in because the basics of the motor are pretty good. Um, You get a lot of second, third, fourth gear stuff, uh, even a little fifth gear uh, that flows a little bit, that, that doesn't require winding absolutely everything out in long acceleration. They're okay. But you get the longer acceleration uh, or longer straights where that top end, it it is somewhat of horsepower, but it's more the acceleration to that point and the ability for the motor to rev quickly. That is where the air valves are going to make a difference here. And that's going to be a huge issue in China where you have a couple really long straights. So we'll see what happens there. There may be a section Uh, you know, multiple sections of the track where they look really good, but you get them on the straight. And while the final top speed might look pretty good, the last, say, 15 to 25 kilometers an hour up to that point, that's where they'll be lacking. So it's not the overall top speed, although obviously Ducati's pretty, have have almost had everyone covered. Um, It's how quickly it gets to that top speed. And especially on those two long straights, now if you stay in a draft or uh, the slipstream for uh, british british fans uh they might have some they might have some hope but we'll see what happens you know t- total top speed the yamaha's are getting very very close now to the ducati so we'll see what happens there uh ducati still need to work on their chassis uh looks like they are open to doing uh, a number of things with some different chassis work now seeing as how uh, not only is Marco having uh, a lot of the same, giving a lot of the same feedback, but apparently Sylvan and uh, Tony Elias also uh, are giving similar feedback to what Marco is giving, so they're looking at tweaking the chassis a little bit. Uh, they're also looking at bringing in Troy Bayless and Max Biaggi to do some test riding as well at, uh, at Mugello, I believe. Uh, they're allowed to have those guys in there because they're not official MotoGP riders. They could technically assign them to a test team and they'd be okay and they can get away with that, but... We'll see what happens. Uh we'll see if uh you know, maybe a uh if there's not, not a conflicting uh round and I don't have my schedule handy. Um maybe Max or Troy will be seeing some wildcard rides here just to uh just to get some things going. Could be very, very interesting on that. Now the whole China thing, it was announced uh, in the past week. Uh, And and I apologize if we talked a little bit about this on the last show, but it seems maybe it was a little bit before that uh, China will be no more after this year. There's been some very strong rumors floating around that no one they were just going to cancel China altogether uh, for a lot of political reasons, for a lot of economic reasons. Uh, Every year, the teams have a lot of problems getting all of their equipment in and out of China, uh, dealing with customs and clearing it. Uh, There's a lot of political issues going on, even without the whole Tibet issue. The fact that Valentino and Loris have said that uh, uh, you know they need to speak out a little more about that, they might do something in tribute to Tibet. Uh, Loris Caporossi even said he he would uh, he would even be willing to wear a uh, a Tibetan flag to the grid, which I think would be awesome. Um, not a big fan of the communist regime in China. Well, technically communist, it's more. It's more of a military dictatorship described, uh, disguised under communism. But we try to avoid that kind of politics on the show. You know, motorcycle politics, sure, all day. Uh, but uh, the actual, you know, real politics, we try to keep to the side. But uh, you know, there's so much going on. Uh, there's there was apparently some noise that the Chinese weren't even. You know, if they are going to cancel it, you know, don't it bother you even showing up this year, or we're not going to really go out of our way to help you out. So. Um, you know, most of the riders will be very happy that they don't have to go there anymore. No one's really going to miss it. It's a long flight. It's a singular track, a lot of stuff. So, um, but it looks like everyone will be going. It hasn't been canceled. There was just a rumor going on and plus all the politics be very, very interested to see how it's handled. And if the riders actually do anything for the race, uh, you know, as a political protest, Con, you know, uh, uh, conscious protester type of thing. It could be very, very interesting, and uh, we'll take a look at that. So, the actual race itself at Estoril, uh, for the third time in a row, Jorge Lorenzo put it on pole. Uh, and that is uh, had never been done before. Uh, in fact, uh, no one had really, no rookie had ever put it on the pole twice. I don't think. Uh, they were talking about Sainz but he hadn't done it, or maybe he had done it twice, and now Jorge had done it three times, and that's what uh, took it. Um, uh, Danny was uh, second and Valentino third, so once again, two Yamahas up front. Nicky was uh, fourth, Colin fifth, and Tozlin uh, sixth, and, and uh, James was, uh, and, and Colin both were benefiting from the air valve motor in the Yamaha for Tech 3, and they were both very, very happy. They were like, it's a completely new bike. And it goes back to that, that acceleration. It's not so much that it gives more revs, um, and while it is more power, it's, it's the ability to accelerate to that RPM that uh, is the big deal. So, uh, sorry, I lost my train of thought on that. The actual race itself I thought was a, was a pretty good race um, on, a, on a couple different levels. Very encouraging to see uh, Andrea Davizioso running, um, you know, very tightly in that in that top group. Until they just they they picked up the pace and he pushed and lost the front. Same thing happened to Nicky. He was going. He was char. was in fourth. He had third. Definitely could see third place. Uh, was pushing and then about eight laps from the end, he he lost the front on his bike as well and and didn't finish. So Jorge gets his maiden win. Uh, Very good race, made some very, very strong passes throughout the race, including a very nice pass under Valentino Rossi uh, in that slow chicane area that, uh, if you watch the Eurosport feed, uh, you saw that might be a possibility just in listening to uh, Julian and Toby talk about how how the 250 riders would go through there and how that he was, that was one of his strongest sections in the track and where he was making a lot of time, so... Very ballsy move through there. Very strong move through there. Um, but, you know, that, that's what it takes to win up front. Uh, and, and even though on last week's show I said that he uh, contractually was prevented from uh, planting any Lorenzo Land flags that, you know, that was supposedly verboten, eh, Well, he did it anyways, and I'm sure that because it's his maiden MotoGP victory, Yamaha I'll let him slide on that one, maybe. Who knows? You know, it depends if he gets his whole bonus money. I'm sure he doesn't care that much. Uh, Danny Pedrosa, second. Very, uh, very solid race for him. Valentino Rossi, third on the podium uh, for the second race in a row. And, uh, you know, I think Valentino's reasonably happy now. Uh, they're just sneaking up on the tires. I they think they're finally getting a handle on it. Uh, they understand now that they all the notes that they had for how to set up the bike for Michelin, they've tried a lot of different things and it doesn't really work. So they've, I can't say they've thrown everything out, but at least they understand now that the bike has to be set up differently to run on Brid- uh, Bridgestones and they're learning. And it's just a matter of now towards the end, um, of the race, they just don't have the, the tire life, the tire wear, the traction, however it is uh, that you want to say it. They just, they don't have that quite yet. Uh, and they're getting there. So also the interesting thing is Bridgestone still does not have a front qualifying tire, So if the main reason you see the Michelin guys qualifying so much better than the Bridgestone people at this point, it has to do with the front qualifying tire and how hard you can uh, push in the corner on the brakes or, you know, in a sense, taking your braking that much later in the corners, carry that much more corner speed during qualifying. That really is the difference at this point. Bridgestone feel they have something that's close for a front qualifying tire. They just don't have the ability to produce the volume. Uh, as I guess they're not going to give a couple riders a front qualifier and not give other ones. They're going to be, uh, as they said, very um, socialistic about it and that everybody gets everything. It's going to be a fair thing where democracy, you know, maybe not so much. Whatever, I don't know. Again, let's stay away from the politics of that whole thing. Um, Fourth position, very good to see the uh, Texas tornado up there. Colin Edwards definitely looks like he has been reborn Um, John Hopkins fifth very very strong performance from John looked really good up there Uh, he's definitely almost back to full fitness and I think you can really see it just in uh, just in his riding style he's he's much more attacking on the bike really has it cranked over carrying more speed so I think as uh, we get to Shanghai it should be very interesting to see how Hopper does there because uh, that was his maiden podium last year um, at Shanghai on the Suzuki and We'll see how that uh, how that works out. Casey Stoner, very admirable sixth. Um, Casey definitely had some issues early in the race. It was way back. No one knew what was going on. Uh, what we found out is that there was a box from Dorna on the inside of his fairing that manages the different onboard cameras on the bike, and it was either not Velcroed in properly, taped in properly, whatever, and it was getting hung up in his steering. And then you saw him come down the front straight, and you saw this thing flapping out, uh, didn't know what it was, and he ended up grabbing it and just stuffing it down in the fairing. And then after that was done, you definitely saw him march up and finish sixth. Now, could he have finished a little bit better um, than sixth? Yeah, because he was he was charging hard uh, on Hopkins. So had that not happened, Casey probably, um, probably fourth, I'm going to say, that he could have been uh, in front of Colin. We'll see, but definitely... Uh, survived disaster there. So even though the last two rounds haven't been great for Casey, um, he salvaged much more this round than last. Obviously, last round he could have finished fifth had he not run off track twice. But you know, if fifths and butts were candies and nuts. It'd be Christmas all year round, right? But the true measure of a champion is really how they manage during the bad times. Um, as they talked about during the race, championships aren't necessarily won by the first and the seconds, it's on those days where you can't, you know, where you manage the fourths and the fifths and the sixth rather than tenth or twelfth. So we'll see how that goes. It's a long season. Um, you know, Casey's definitely down in points a, a decent amount here, but certainly, you know, not horrible at this point, especially given how early it is in the season. Um, so Stoner was sixth. Tosland, very credible seventh, although I know he wasn't exactly happy with that. Vermeulen, eighth. Caparossi ninth on the on the Rizla Suzukis, then a pair of the Grassini Hondas of Nakano and De Angelis. Uh Tony Elias in twelfth, Marco Melandri thirteenth, Sylvain Gintoli fourteenth, Depuyne way lost in the back in fifteenth, and poor old Anthony West in sixteenth. So not looking good for him. There is a tie in the standings at the top with Jorge and Danny tied with sixty one. Valentino with 47, and Casey with 40. And then you have a uh, decent gap down to Tozlin with 29, uh, Loris with 26, Hopper with 24, Colin 22, uh, Davizioso with 21, and Nikki at 19. So we have a couple of weeks now till Shanghai, and it could be uh, could be interesting to see how that all uh, is going to play out once we get there. Two, uh, two other things of note from uh, actually three other things of note. Uh, number one, Tectois is signed with Yamaha through the 2010 season. Uh, James Tosland's option for next year has already been picked up, and that um, right after the race, pretty much Monday morning, Jorge went to, to Barcelona and had uh, the compartment surgery to cure his uh, his arm pump issues. And so this was the time to do it. I guess even though they did a bunch of stuff to help him for this race, he still had the issue at the end of the race, uh, and they decided let's do it. We've got a few weeks till the next round. He should be able to be fully healed or pretty close to healed by the time they get to Shanghai, uh, and we'll see how that affects him there. And we I, could be that's it's pretty quick return, and I, I know some of those guys come back pretty quick from it, but it can be a six week, six to eight week recovery on on that deal. I have to get a hold of someone to who's had it uh, as one of the writers that we're we're, uh, 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 we're friends with and and get what the actual real recovery time on that is. And let's see, what else do I have here? Oh, if you have not seen it on YouTube, and I don't know how you haven't at this point, uh, on Kawasaki's official channel, I think if you just do a search on YouTube for uh, Kawasaki MotoGP Screamer or Kawasaki Screamer, um, you'll get the uh, the little thirty second or so clip that they put together from the test at Harrah's with the new Screamer motor, and I tell you what, at full song, that thing sounds exactly like a V ten Formula One motor. It is amazing, very very cool. So, the uh, the last bit uh, of MotoGP news, and this is hugely encouraging, is that, uh, and this is for the MotoGP race in Indianapolis in September. Over 40,000 three-day passes have already been sold for that. I mean, we've pre-sold 40,000 three-day deals, uh, three-day passes. That's huge. So could we see over 100,000 people for this thing? I think so. What I think would be really cool is we would get about 140,000, 150,000 people to show up on Sunday um, and have a bigger crowd than like at Jaref uh, or Barcelona. I think that would be just very very cool. Uh, so we'll uh, we'll see how that all uh, goes down. And uh, what else do I have here on my notes? Um, I guess we'll uh, we'll get Barber out of the way, and uh, and just say that that is underway. Uh, Friday qualifying is pretty much in the books at this point. Ben Spees is the quickest so far. Oops, I got to pull up my page because I actually accidentally closed that down. And uh, John's world gets pulled up. Spees is on provisional pole as he is about half a tenth ahead of Matt Mladen by no surprise. Uh, and then there's a 1.2 second gap back to third with Eric Bostrom. Then Tommy, uh, Jason Busai, Hacking, Neil Hodgson, Roger Hayden, Jeff May on a super stock bike. Aaron Yates, and then Miguel Duhamel. So Miguel is currently 2.7 seconds off of pole in 11 spot, uh, and he is only two-tenths of a second quicker than Matt Lynn on the Corona Honda bike. Okay. I think enough. I, I really don't think we need to say any more than that. Before I go into this whole Daytona Motorsports Group deal, sorry, I'm cleaning, you know, shuffling my papers there, doing my Dave Despain shuffle the papers 18 times. Let's uh, let's hear from Ray Duval. Um, as you know, many of you know, and, and, and we'll get into this a little bit. Ray uh, was one of the main fixtures, uh, you know motor- main fixtures when it came to motor- the motorcycle podcast area, motorcycle podcast group, Knee Dragon, and all that other good stuff. I think one of the, you know definitely one of the good guys and one of the good voices out there, um, and uh, pretty much after Laguna last year he dropped off the face of the earth. So I know a lot of you have gotten emails from you one asking, hey, what happened to Ray? What happened to Ray? So as as we alluded to, we dropped him an email and uh, traded traded those with them, and then we lobbed him a call. So let's go and have a listen with Ray. Bringing an old friend into Rumble Strip Radio today for you. It's someone that most of you know very well from his podcast, The Knee Dragon podcast uh ray duvall who was uh very instrumental and one of the leaders in uh in the motorcycle podcast group but then uh after laguna last year kind of disappeared so we uh wanted to get a hold of ray and see what's going on and see what he has to say about what's been happening in the last nine months or so so ray welcome to uh rumble strip radio good to have you on
0: thank you for having me sir
2: so i guess the first question is is uh what happened to you after laguna you were going good and then all of a sudden you just sort of disappeared into the wilderness (laughs)
0: <laughs> um after Laguna uh I, I think most of my listeners knew my plans uh and, and they bore out. I, I went down to Southern California, uh picked up the uh the Victory Kingpin deluxe, uh spent some money on uh getting a cruise control installed in the thing and then rode it back to Ohio, so twenty five hundred miles in in uh three and a half days. Uh, that was fun. Interesting riding that particular machine. I'm I'm too short for that kind of cruiser. I think it, it was it was not quite uh, as comfortable for me as I would have liked. But anyways, after that, I I'd planned on getting back to the show, and and once I got back home, um, a lot of things, you know, in real life, kind of took over, and uh, I found that that when I finally. Was was getting to the point where I could get back to doing the show. I'd kind of lost motivation, honestly, and that that kind of came from uh, what was going on with racing in general. I mean, um, you know, everybody, everybody who listened to my show knew that I was I was big into racing, just like you are. And, um, I, I was kind of disillusioned, if you will, with uh, MotoGP for one. Uh, my my predictions at the beginning of the year uh, last year bore out completely. You know, unbelievably boring racing um it, it seems to be to have gotten a little bit better this year but but unbelievably boring moto gp uh world supers there's potential but i i kind of came up watching world supers and and the names aren't there to keep me all that enthused and, and i have some theories about why the ama is the way it is beyond how poorly run the series was but why is suzuki dominating and and uh just kind of looking at the whole thing and I just kind of went, "Eh, you know, it's not that, that, uh, I got other things I could be doing, you know, with the family. I mean, my kids are now, uh, uh, five and just active as heck. And, and I find I'm spending more time with them and I spend a lot of time on my computer playing computer games too. (laughs) So, uh, I don't know. I just, uh, just kind of lost touch, I guess.
2: Yeah. Well, um, understandable. It was funny because, uh, I think you and I disagreed a little bit at the beginning of World Supers last year, but as you say – or I'm sorry, of MotoGP, and I thought, oh, well, the racing was pretty good, but you were, all, uh, you were of the opinion that, well, this is like 250, it's one-line racing, and that's certainly kind of what it ended up being last year, wasn't it?
0: Oh, it was
2: uh, – yeah, that and that was, that's Stoner essentially just, what it
0: turned into. Yeah, it definitely became – 250-like. Uh, there was one line around the track that was the fast line, and if you got off of that line, you would lose touch with the people in front. Um, it was fun to watch Stoner do what he did, but uh, the actual racing itself was was just not – nowhere near as good as it was the last, say, two seasons with the uh, 990s. Right where you know, everybody's in a bunch and, you know, passing all over the place, and you could do different things with the bike. This year it seems to have gotten a little bit better. I mean, we've only had a few rounds to look at, um, and I've only seen two of them so far. But but it seems like there's a little bit more parity in the machines, and it looks like they've kind of backed off a little on the electronic controls. I mean, it just, what you know, visually is what it looks like to me. There's a little bit more uh, freedom for the rider, but, you know, that could be just – the tracks that they're on, I don't really know.
2: Yeah, no, I I agree with you. I see them spinning up the tires visibly. Uh, you see them backing them in occasionally, so um, it it does look more. It, it looks less Formula One like.
0: Yeah. So,
2: um, I'm sorry. uh One of, I, I kind of jumped ahead to where I was going. So, you came back from California. Everything's going on in in life and and the kids and everything like that. So, um just too many things going on on top of uh trying to do a show which which a lot of people know is you know for our show probably takes 3 4 hours of prep and editing and stuff like that so those 3 4 hours of kids travel just life in general
0: pretty much the 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 editing time uh for me for when I was doing my shows uh was was considerable and then the the biggest thing for me, and, and I think you hit the nail on the head, uh, uh, I probably think it was last year sometime. I know you did a, a – a, a, when you do your shows, you were giving shout-outs to all the different other – all the other guys out there on the MPG. And, and uh, you called my show kind of the talk radio mm-hmm. of all the shows that were out there. And what I noticed uh, a big part of, of last year, if anybody out there who gets cycle news, uh, Henry Ray Abrams, Right hes He says what I'm thinking most of the time, not 100% agreement, but probably 90% or more. He says what I'm thinking. He says it better, and he has a larger audience. And I didn't figure that I needed to rehash all the things he was going over. So that was one of the things that I looked at and said, well, I don't really need to be doing that. Um, like I say, the editing time, like I said, one-hour show is three hours worth of editing. Um, and it just... Was was too time consuming as far as that went. Even though you know you might think, oh, it's only three hours a week. Well, yeah, it's it's three hours a week that I just didn't have, and I still don't. hmm
2: Um, and you're you're. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming you're going to take Hen, uh, Henny's uh, side on this whole thing with him and uh, John. Or going on?
0: eh you know, no, no. There, there. I I read. How that got going, I was reading, and, and um, when I read Henry's column and the way he threw Orange under the bus, I was like, "Ooh, okay, that, that's not really good. I mean, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of Orange's, uh, uh, if you want, political views, I guess, about racing. I, I don't necessarily agree with, with how he views it, but um, I, I would not be the one to – to do what what Abrams did and to say the things that he said and and um and expect nothing to happen afterwards either <laughs>
2: right, right
0: he's done so much for the sport that you kind of have to give him some flexibility and a little leeway and, and benefit of the doubt
2: and it's not like those guys haven't been in the same press room for the last twenty years together either,
0: well that too. <laughs> But uh, oh, yeah. the, the, the general opinions of Mr. Abrams are, are essentially mine as far as uh, the AMA and pro racing in America, and, and there's not much else to be said about it uh, from the political side. And, and, of course, now we have this huge uh, upheaval, if you will, with uh, the, the Daytona Motorsports Group taking over and, and uh, Edmondson back in the mix. Uh, things should get interesting.
2: Yeah, by some of the interviews that have been coming out here, and uh, I think we'll talk a little bit about that in, uh, in this week's show, um, some very, very interesting reactions from people like uh, Mel Harris and uh, some of the Yamaha people. <laughs> I,
0: I think I, I I, really, I was reading, uh, I read about uh, what Edmondson had to say about his visit to Suzuki and then what uh, Mel Harris had to say, and uh and- while they didn't uh, necessarily jive 100. percent You never will get that right. Three sides to every story, but yeah. um, it, it, the, the, there was there is a lot of truth in it on both sides, and uh, I, I know why Suzuki's pissed. <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah. Not if they want to eliminate the it,
2: yeah. If they want to eliminate the thousand cc class where Suzuki makes you know all their headlines, <laughs>
0: yeah. and they win every race. I mean, yeah. You know, but no more. <laughs> well, of course, the other manufacturers are going to be like, okay. <laughs> You know, and going to be raising hell. So, uh, uh, yeah, th- that makes, you know, make perfect sense. I, I, I don't doubt that they were probably screaming at Edmondson's face, you, you know.
2: Yeah.
0: But, uh, yeah. I, I don't know. Do you, you want to talk about that? You want to talk about what's going on? What, what we think yeah, about I'll, the thousand CC not being the, uh, the premier class?
2: Yeah, let's talk a little bit about that. But before we do that, I want to ask you a question. I, I was scratching my head and I sent this question around to a few people and, um no one's quite sure what the, he meant by this but mel harris was talking about it literally in the first question or two uh that's up on dean's world um you know about their about moto st and racing the they don't you know the sv1000 really isn't in production anymore so that doesn't matter to them and then there was a phrase about well the sv650 may not be around in another year or two or so i can't remember the exact quote but something like that and it got me scratching my head are they thinking about eliminating that bike altogether um, or did you did you take that as that, or maybe that they just weren't going to be involved in Moto St with that bike?
0: No, he was talking. What he's what he's saying is, if I'm reading it right, it, and I'm assuming this is just a transcript from a, a phone call or something, um, it says the uh, the light class, the 75 horsepower. They have the SV650 that may or may not be discontinued in another year or so. So as near as I, from what he. Taking it from what he was talking about the SV1000, he must mean that the 650 is going to be going away.
2: Which to me makes no sense because that I thought was a really good selling bike. Plus, they you know it's all over the club race scene.
0: Well, it, it is, and I, I'm assuming that uh, Suzuki's well aware of that, so if they're going to discontinue it, there must be a reason either declining sales numbers um, or they'll have something new.
2: Okay, um, I was curious, That one—that one, that one uh, struck me as a because that's such a great bike from everyone, from the beginner to a, a pretty seasoned rider. Um, you know, one of the great all-around bikes that's out there. So just, just yeah. me as funny.
0: I I, I, I was uh, surprised as anybody when I read it too. I I, I was shocked, <laughs> if you will. Yeah.
2: Yep. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, let's talk about the 1,000 and, and getting rid of it. I mean, one of the things that really blew me away was no 600 Super Sport, and that was Roger Edmondson's creation. So that was the first thing. But then, yeah, no 1,000s, that's that's a real head-scratcher.
0: Well, if you're going to have the 600s uh, in their, their Super Bike guys, if you will, so we're going to say uh, similar to the Formula Extreme uh, rules, then – Having another six hundred class doesn't make any sense. One six hundred class, one thousand cc class. Been saying that forever. Um, the thousands, obviously, to me, should be the premier class. If they're going to make the 600s the premier class, what do you do for an encore? Mm-hmm. You know, you can't have the premier class not be the fastest bikes around the track. I would agree. So what? Uh, I and I read the. Uh, um, the other uh, uh, discussion that, that Dean had with uh, McCarty, and his take on it was that that um, the 1000cc class is not completely gone. I mean, it, it, that there's there's still consideration for there to be a 1000cc class, but if it, if it's not the the top rung of the ladder, then it really doesn't matter. I, I and if they're doing, they already said they're doing away with the 600 super sports super stock whatever they're calling it um if you if it's not a production-based class then what are you going to have horsepower regulated is going to be part of moto st
2: yeah Um, and there's so many cheats on that it's not even funny (laughs) and i know that from being around the canadian series where they've had the horsepower limits for a number of years
0: i i you know the down i wish we got uh tv of 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 the canadian class i i understand it's reasonably competitive as far as uh you don't have 10 15 second gaps from first to second
2: not usually it's it's usually pretty i mean depending on a few things sometimes the guys run away sometimes not but it's usually pretty competitive up front
0: yeah that's, that's what we need something like that and and it seems like everybody was happy with what the new superbike rules were going to be for 09 um yep. you know the, a the british
2: british Kind of like the British superbikes, where they you can do some stuff to the chassis, but you keep the engines kind of mildly tuned.
0: I think that's where they were going. It was more production-based. I know that. I, I don't know all the details. I haven't really kept that much up with it. I'm just kind of sure. uh, reading along. But um, um, it, it seems that 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 and and that's kind of what what I think a lot of people were hoping to see was something a little bit more um, uh, production-based, something closer to what they're actually riding on the street. To try and, and generate a little bit of parity, although, um, and I'll, I'll throw my theory at you here because it's a, it's a good place for it. I, I don't think it would have mattered too much. I, I I've been watching these guys race in the AMAs for a long time, and I do not. I I know how good Matt Mladen is. I, I know what his skill set is like. Um, he is not a minute a race faster than Miguel. He's not 30 seconds a race faster than uh, Ebaz. He, he's good. He's not that good. And if that's the case, which is what I believe it to be, the only thing it can be is the freaking bike. So everybody gets up in arms about how the GSX-R1000 wins shootouts every single year. Okay, take a look at the racing and then think about it. It makes sense for the Suzuki to win every single year. I truly believe it is that much better of a motorcycle.
2: Very possible. My my thing has always been that crew has been together for so long that they just instinctively know what to do. Where everyone else is different bike, different team. Something's always seems to be changing where that team has been, especially with Malad and rock solid for seven, eight years now, you know, that that, that has long term benefits.
0: This is true, but but you have to look at uh, look at the whole history, right? of The Suzuki team, the the Miladin team, if you will. Uh, it, you, they used to say, everybody used to scream about uh, Amar Bazaz, and that was mm. his ace in the hole. Bazaz left to go do his own thing, right? Yep. Nothing changed yeah. with Miladin. Yeah, and you got Gary Medley, right? Mm. Is he less <laughs> the, uh, capable than, than the guys on the Suzuki team?
2: no he's pretty damn good he's, so he's, he's won I, to, a couple championships he, in his life
0: to me i, I the, the the only difference i see is i mean obviously maladin's drive and dedication he he is uh th- i think the best pure racer out there um I I, I I even though he hasn't won the championship in the past 2 years I, I still believe he's a better racer than spies um even though bens earned a lot of respect from me L- last season he really did but um I, I think that uh, um, just the, the gaps from from those two back to everybody else, uh, it, it, it's got to be, I don't know, I, it, it's got to be in the bike. It's got to be. They, they're not that much faster. And it could be maybe just the electronics package at this point. I don't really know that part. But um, to me, I, I think that... that the the GSXR winning all the shootouts all the way you know for the past whatever four years right i think uh four or five years yeah well since uh, yeah. 2004 the the won, i think and then uh, so the rest of the time it's been the, the GSXR um and before that it was the GSXR so uh, you know
2: more times than <laughs> it, not
0: <laughs> yeah so if it's if if it's winning and it's not just one magazine it's like all the magazines it's constantly winning uh the the shootouts um it's, it wins the races. You put, um, uh, put a good rider on a decently prepped motorcycle against competition he's never seen, and on some tracks he's never seen, although some he's pretty familiar with. And he finishes what in the World Superbike Championships last year? Second, third.
2: Um, right. Oh, Max, yeah, uh-huh. Um Third, third.
0: And I mean. Never been on a diesel before. Yeah. The bike is, I think, that good. And, and you, when you have the combination of a motorcycle that is uh, set up that way with, like you said, the team behind it, which is you know at, at the absolute highest level in the sport, uh, with one of the best riders uh, not just here but anywhere in the world and, and for any time frame you care to consider on it, it that combination um, – you know, puts him that far out in front. And Malladdin even said he said it doesn't matter what the bikes are, you know, the best riders are still gonna win. And he I know he's toting his ego down a little bit by not saying that it was him, <laughs> but but we knew what he meant, right? right. And uh, I think he's hundred percent correct. I, I believe that if you were to, to put the, the stock motorcycles out there with uh DOT tires and put all those guys on those bikes, I still think Malladdin wins the races, but not by as much
2: yeah not by half a minute mm-hmm. yeah it it's funny cuz he and he and Spees now it's almost like watching Rich Oliver back in the 250 days you know you oh. you, you throw money down with the, what the over under is you know over under 30 <laughs> seconds for the race <laughs> how far they'll lap up yeah exactly exactly <laughs> um i mean you bring up max and world superbike and, and and it's definitely good but you see Honda's and well, the Ducatis were tuned to you know they, a motor per race. Um, you know they need two motors for for to make it through a weekend or, or a weekend's Sunday race. But I mean, it was much more competitive there. Is it just different rule package, better better equality of riders?
0: I think you have the different rule package. Um, and I yeah, the the riders the 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 best riders aren't on the Suzukis, hmm. right? The best yep. riders are on Ducati, or the best rider is on a Ducati, and the next best rider um, last year, really the next best rider was on a Suzuki, and the, the next guy was on a Yamaha. So um, this year so you've got to,
2: to the Tosin was the fourth best rider yet won the championship.
0: <sighs> I don't think Tottenham's all that. Sorry. Sorry, Brits, no. if you're out there listening. I, I just don't. Uh, King James, uh, he he won the championship, and he won it. In a in a manner that that was befitting of a racing champion, okay. Uh, but on equal machines, all the way around, I I, I think Bayless, Biaggi, Haga, Toslin, in that order.
2: So that's just fair. my opinion. That's fair. No, no, that's what I like. <laughs> I don't like people who agree with me 100. percent So that's good. I like that. I would have put Tozlin third. So, but you know, not not much different.
0: Um,
2: I, I, I it,
0: but yeah, we the, with Bayless on. It really, if you guys play poker, or watch poker, Bayless was on tilt last year. <laughs> yeah. Okay. He was. He was on tilt. There was nothing more he could do with that machine, and it showed. He he always looks like he's on the ragged edge. I mean that's the way he rides. He he beats the piss out of the machines. Uh, normally when he does that he wins. Last year didn't quite work out uh, the way that it should have, and 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 uh, I think this year even though he hasn't been dominating in any sense of the word, um, I think he'll bring the championship uh, back over to Ducati. Honestly.
2: You well, know, when people start crashing crashing around them or taking lead, you know leaders out of the race out on idiot idiot last quarter <laughs> maneuvers you know kind everyone's kind of doing the hard work for them. I, think,
0: I i i I really watching that race, I expected checkcker to win the way he was coming on at the end, I expected him to win until probably uh, two turns before the the infamous uh, uh, final left there and I, at that point, I said, "Well, he just—he can't get there. He's—he's he's not going to get there. He doesn't have it." And and as soon as he went up the inside, as soon as I saw him attempting that maneuver, I went, "Oh, this is not going to come out good." And sure enough. <laughs> yeah, he, but that's racing, right? That's uh, Pedrosa taking out Hayden.
2: I was going to say that's he—he uh, he tried the Jason DeSalvo passing maneuvers. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Your, his front tire on on someone else's rear axle.
0: <laughs> yeah, normally Roger Hayden's. Um,
2: yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Although, like I, I said in last week's show, I said I blame some of that on Max. He had a huge lead, and he had to be reading his pit board. And um, He had enough of a lead for long enough. He should have been able to manage his tires a little bit better. So, I mean, if it was that shagged at the end where he couldn't push, you know, for that last couple three-tenths to keep himself up, then, then he owns a small portion of that. But I
0: totally agree. Totally. If you're going to let the guy come from as far back as Cheka did, too, I mean, he, he was, was like not five like seconds he was back. Was sec- like eight, yeah,
2: eight eight laps left. He was like five seconds back or something like that. Yeah.
0: So, and and really, when I saw that replay, um, although it was a bonehead move, my my gut said God, that was stupid. And then I looked at it, and my head said, you know, really, it's a racing incident. No, mm-hmm. oh, it
1: was. You no, know,
0: it was just a racing incident. It's not something that anybody should be in trouble for. Which obviously they're not. But uh, probably some some people think that. Uh, that uh, Mr. Cheka should be penalized in one way or another. Um, I, I don't think so. It just looked like a racing incident. Did it, bonehead? But um, and he should have known better, really,
2: <laughs> with right, as much experience right. as he has. <laughs> well, they don't call him uh, uh, Carlos Chucker for nothing, you know. Yeah, it, it. <laughs> That's no lie.
0: But that was it, now okay. It's, explain to me this though. Where's race two?
2: Oh uh from from speed
0: what happened to race 2
2: um i don't know i watched the i i downloaded and watched the eurosport feed so i had no problem watching race 2 and I said, race I said, two I was pretty up, damn
0: good I, I really should i should do that except that i you know again time and i've changed isp so my my download speed's gone to crap but um you know i i watched race 1 and i checked the guide and, man there's nothing and i'm like what is why what is it with speed And they did this last year too right they only showed race 1 on sunday
2: yeah, and then they'd usually show race two on Tuesday, theoretically, but which makes I, and, no sense. And, I agree with you.
0: You know, I was like, "What the hell are they doing?" And they showed this time they showed race one, and then after that was like arena cross. Mm-hmm. And I forgot there was another dirt bike thing. I think after that, Um like, arena cross. Really? <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, come on. If it's if if it's NASCAR and it is, I mean, if it's speed and it's not NASCAR, then like, yeah, you know, whatever. We'll get like 18 people watching it or something. I, know. So I, I
0: should be excited that they're showing motorcycle racing, and everybody says that. But uh, you know what? After having watched it for as long as I have on Speed, um, you know, I'm a little spoiled, and, and I want them to uh, to do it my way. Damn it! <laughs>
2: yeah. Well, I, I always say, I'm mean, like some people. I, 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 you know, and I think you and I agree on this. um tell me we should just be happy to have it. I'm like, yeah, we should be happy to have it. Doesn't mean we can't. We shouldn't demand better. Yeah, you know. Absolutely, we wheel but, gets the oil. You know, <laughs> if I said keep squeaking loud enough, maybe they'll they'll listen and they'll oil it a little bit. You know,
0: uh, you know if if it wasn't if you were just supposed to be happy to have what you have, we'd all still be riding uh, uh, pushrod friggin' V twins,
2: <laughs> six fifty Bonneville.
0: <laughs> hey, there you go, man.
2: <laughs> hey, come on, you gotta have a little style, yep. you know. Oh uh, yeah, no the uh, the whole Eurosport feed deal is uh, much better quality announcers. Although I guess Jonathan Green isn't, you know, he has his moments, but um, usually the the Eurosport guys are better. They're they're really much better on the MotoGP broadcasts too. So, and you Definitely. get to see the whole thing. You don't get you know three three commercials on the last lap. So.
0: Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know the funny thing about MotoGP, though, is by the time you get to the last lap, at this point, it doesn't really matter. You know, I, I, yeah. I my, my thing, I, I check uh, Dean's World in the mornings on Sunday mornings and check see what the the race outcome is, mm-hmm. and then I decide whether or not I'm going to watch it. The um, Which it's is
2: actually, the completely, completely, the fun thing to watch what, is, I'm sorry, it's completely different than
0: what I, I used to be. All jazz. I would wake up in the morning on Sundays and think, okay racing today and i would avoid the computer entirely just on the off chance that i might accidentally click the wrong button and, and go see a result
2: mm-hmm.
0: so um tells you how far i've drifted
2: the, the actually one of the things i actually enjoy as much as the race anymore is uh eurosport usually broadcasts free practice too and qualifying or at least the they do all of that but then i'm sorry that that's what gets uploaded to the uh, to the torrent download sites, and it, it's it's really fun to watch that, and you actually get more information and more news about what's really going on watching that than you do with the actual race itself. So uh, that's that to me is some of the best part of the stuff, and and or in World Superbike, getting getting to watch Superpole, watching Superpole is cool,
0: very, very. I I I initially when they first started Superpole, I still remember when they first started Superpole, uh, wasn't a fan. I thought, what? This this is ridiculous. One lap? Uh, it grew on me. And now I'm like, you know, everyone should do that.
2: <laughs> I, I looked at it this way. No one's got an excuse. You know, Casey Stoner doesn't have an excuse to go shake his fist at anyone because someone took his line or was following him. You got one lap. It's all on your own. No one around you. Put it out there, and that's it. I, that, yep. I, I like it. I like it.
0: Uh, me, too. I, I do now. I, like I said, I didn't initially, but now I'm like, I'm a fan. I, I think that. Uh, uh, I think that all of the series should do that. Honestly, that's—I think that's the the coolest uh, qualifying out there, and and it's a good show. Yeah, even though the the tension from MotoGP can be, um, you know, with the the, the Formula One style qualifying and the, the way that the announcers uh, uh, give it to you, is, is a good show as well. And and I was said I was talking about this last year. I think qualifying was better than the racing last year. Um, <laughs> yes more tension to it right (laughs) guys throwing on that that last qualifier with three minutes left in the session you know hoping that they can get around in time to to beat the checker to get their flying lap started um you know that that was that was a good show that was good tension there and and uh the super bowl is is very much like that every single time Mm
1: -hmm.
0: you know that that's good and and talking about what world Superbikes does right they've got reasonably close racing um at the front of the pack, the the uh, qualifying obviously we like. I was fully expecting Edmondson. Now I'm gonna roll back to the AMA's here to to come out with an oh, a WSB package.
2: That was yeah, my I mean, sort of. They're sort of going that direction. They're talk. You know, we hear talk of spec tires, spec fuel. And it's like, okay, you know, and you do something to keep it reasonable motor wise, and you could have privateers, maybe not to the level that you do in World Superbike, but you could get. You know, a Jordan team, a Corona Honda team, and uh, maybe one or two others up there, maybe not winning, but at least in the top five, seven, occasionally. Yeah. Yeah, that that would be,
0: and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with, I think spec tires are a good idea, and I I think that in this particular series that they ought to just give it to Dunlop and be done.
2: (laughs) Right, it's a default anyways.
0: Without, yeah, without making a big deal about it. You know, and I, I know that the M14 would be like, oh, we get Pirellis, and you know what, uh, you know, whatever. It's just, this is what it is. Um, the, uh, um, I don't know about spec fuel, honestly. I, it, whatever. <laughs> I, yeah. I guess if, if they're running into instances of, uh, you know, cheating on the fuel, then yeah, okay, fine, do it. I think um,
2: that's more of a cost control thing, where some of the high-end VP trick fuel, Agip, and all this other stuff that some of these teams have, it's pretty toxic. Some of that stuff's like sixty bucks a gallon. Where yeah. let's just say they say, okay, it's you know VPC twelve or or U eight or whatever, or uh, you know Sunoco one ten or whatever they decide to do, and then it's you know seven bucks a gallon. It's like okay, then everyone can budget that in, and it's a reasonable and. Everyone's the yeah, same
0: that, thing. that's fine i don't I don't really care either way i'm my my goal i think if it were me were to be would would be to, to come up with a format that puts the a riders in the a group and the b riders ride in 600s. world supers is designed uh the rules are set so that you can only race two races on any given day correct right so if you want to ride. Uh, the Superbikes and the 600s, you really can't. Nope. The rules essentially prohibit it. Mm-hmm. And I was really hoping that they were going to go that direction, 600 Supersport as the feeder to the to the big bikes. Um, you know, Now I guess uh, <laughs> they're going to use the Moto ST as feeders to the 600s. I don't yeah, know. I don't know.
2: Yeah, I know. Yeah, I agree. It's like 600s could be all your young, young and upcomers on their way up. And then, you know, some guys want to stick around and, and try and collect a paycheck on, you know, in their later years, a la, you know, where Miguel Duhamel should be this year, in my opinion. Um, you know, then you can yeah. do that too. You still keep all the, all the good, uh, good vibes and, and great PR stuff because you associate with that guy, but you know, you get someone who might be a little more competitive on, on your premier bike.
0: Well, here, okay. Here's a conspiracy thought for you. Maybe Honda had an inside line or a flash of inspiration on what Edmondson was thinking (laughs) and left Hayes where he was for a reason.
2: Okay. (laughs) Everybody likes
0: to blame Honda for everything. Everybody wants to say, oh, it's Honda this, Honda runs this show, Honda controls everything. Mm -hmm. There's your conspiracy theory, man.
2: Yeah, it's funny because I have to duck some of that now. Like, I actually I, – I go like – I start banging on Honda. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I own a Honda these days. What am I doing? <laughs> Biting the hand that feeds me. Well, it doesn't really feed me, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, I, I, gotta, I should be nice to Kevin Aryan. He's got an old uh, – uh, Cbr nine hundred RR head floating around his shop for sale on their website, and I, you know I can't say too many bad things, I, otherwise I'll have no chance of talking them out of it.
0: No, oh, thank God for Arian Racing, man. If you look look back at the history of the 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 team, uh, well, hell, go all the way, go way back, right? Uh, Commonwealth brothers. before two brothers, right? Right. Um, and then moving on, uh, all the guys that that either came up or. Um, Refreshed careers, uh, or finished careers, with those guys. Uh, the the names and the numbers are ginormous. Oh,
2: so, very
0: true. I, I I actually when I was looking at bikes before I got the ten, um, I was considering getting a, a nine fifty four,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: you know picking up some of their uh, their their old Formula Extreme stuff. The the but well, there's names obviously that always stick out, right? Uh, the the. The Ulrich name is is obviously Hopper for me. Mm -hmm. Um, The the Aryan name is is, – it's funny. The one name that really sticks out with me with them was back in Commonwealth Honda days on the RC30. I was at Willow Springs when Randy Renfro won his only superbike race. (laughs) And I was at that race, watching that race. Randy Renfro was was a hero of mine when when I when I first started riding street bikes. I started riding dirt bikes when I was like six. I got my first street bike when I turned eighteen. Hurricane six hundred when they first came out, right eighty seven. That's, um,
2: that's your infamous Hurricane six hundred, right?
0: Yeah, <laughs> uh, the one that. Yeah. Anyways.
2: Um. <laughs> yeah, don't need to go down that rat hole, right? So I had the
0: bike. I, I'd never, you know, ridden on a street bike before, and I, you know, doing stupid things on it, and. And uh one of the things we did was we, we went with the Vance and Hines crew up to Willow Springs to watch some club racing and, and Vance and Hines used to have you know, they they would just say announce we're you know, meet at the shop at, at uh, eight o'clock on, on Sunday morning or Saturday morning and we'll all ride up together. And and you would get two to three hundred bikes. Wow. All sport bikes generally. Um hauling ass up uh, you know, whatever it is to Willow hundred miles or something to Willow Springs. Um and of course, you know, only half the bikes would make it. The other half would either get chased by the cops or get caught by the cops. Uh, <laughs> but the first time I had ever seen road racing, never seen road racing before in my life, was at Willow Springs. And we were up at the uh, the, the Budweiser uh, building up at Turn 4. Um, and you're, you're up on the second story looking down on Turn 4, which is kind of uh, banked into the side of a hill. And... The most amazing thing I saw the entire day we were there was this little bitty dude on a on a Honda 250 who would come around turn four and be so far hung off the motorcycle that all you could see was left arm, his forearm really, and his left uh, shin and his boot. <laughs> and the rest of him was completely off the bike. You, that's all you could see, the bike and the arm and leg, and that was it. There was nothing else. It is Randy Renfro. Uh, absolutely destroyed the 250s that day. Just just killed them. It, it was a, a Oliver-like performance, if you will. Um, and from that, uh, that he became at that point, watching that, going, out, "Dude, I want to ride like he rides. I want to do what he does." That, that's what I wanted to be was Randy Renfro. man. So he's, he was always uh, uh, a hero to me, and, and uh, very sad that he's gone. But yeah. that—that's the one from from the Aryan side. I, I'll go all the way back to Commonwealth and being at Willow Springs when he won his only Superbike race.
2: My, um, I'm trying to think. I've, I've been to Willow twice. Once was for a club race in February, which you know, February at Willow can be a very, very interesting. Um, yeah. It was. It was like 50 in the morning and 30 in the afternoon, cause, mostly because of the wind. Um yeah. And I was there for. What the last the last uh, AMA Superbike race they had there in 2000? I guess is when it was. But um, I saw Hopper win uh, a 125 uh, uh, WSMC race there uh, because he was in second. He was trying to draft behind Vicky Jackson Bell when uh, she went from side to side of the track trying to bust his draft, and that was against the rules at Willow. And so they handed the win to Hopper. So 15, <laughs> 15-year-old Hopper. <laughs>
0: Okay, I wasn't aware that that was against the rules there. That that front straight is seriously long. I'd love to see the MotoGP bikes on that coming out of nine.
2: Oh, oh man, I, can you imagine a 990 bike coming out of nine onto the front straight, just no, completely, because completely... To the pit wall? Like <laughs> <laughs> I said, it would be completely sideways, smoking off, smoke coming off the rear tire.
0: Oh yeah. Oh uh, no, the 990s coming out of there. 990s. Well, the 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 way the 990s handled just getting from eight to nine without blowing it entirely would be a real chore. Mm. Uh, most, If you guys haven't seen, if you, you guys, your listeners out there have not seen Willow up close and personal, um, when you look at the track map, if you go look at the track map, you'll see eight and nine appear on the track map to be essentially one turn. It's not.
2: No, it you changes.
0: go um, topped out in turn eight to almost downshifting. You're almost going down a, a full gear into nine um, and, and I know some guys do downshift in the, into nine, it really closes up. It's almost like a, a decreasing radius turn. And uh, if you choke nine, you really you have a good chance of one going off the track. I have gone off the track uh, exiting nine. I've had friends go off the track exiting nine. Um, one of them just missed the pit wall. Oof. And it starts like right there, so you can actually hit the pit wall head on and <laughs> really hurt yourself. So I'm sure if they ran uh, MotoGP there, they'd have to change that. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but but uh, yeah, those bikes. Well, we I, I've I've seen the um, the old school, uh, you know, the original uh, Formula USA, the the, uh,
2: Rich uh, Oliver um, and Robbie Peterson on the YZF 500s.
0: That and the, Ah, uh, um, oh, man, who was riding the Hayabusa? Rad Greaves. Was it Greaves on the Hayabusa? That sounds right. That thing at Willow. Yeah. Down the front straight? Oh my god. <laughs> I think I saw them race at uh, Laguna too. One of the uh one of the world superbike years, one of the first world superbike years, I think they had him as a support class of some sort. Or it got folded in. I don't really remember the history of that too well, but uh I actually have I have a video from, I think it's 1990, of one of those Formula USA races with uh, where you it, you know for you that don't understand what that is or don't re- remember that at all, run what you brung, and, mm-hmm. I mean it was wide open anything as long as it had two wheels and a motor, um, you could race yeah, it pretty.
2: Much. That was about the methanol monster and. Uh- yeah. Um Dutchman had what was Dutchman's bike? It was like the thousand the thousand C and the seven fifty frame. They had a name for that I can't remember.
0: Oh yeah, uh, that's right. Huh. That's right. Uh, wow. I, Going back. Yeah,
2: that was that was uh, Fritz Kling made his name riding that bike.
0: I, I've got a video of one of those races uh uh from gotta be like eighty nine or ninety. I think I want to say eighty nine because the six hundreds um, are all katanas. And I oh, eighty nine, I think, is when the Katana came out, right? The Katana six hundred.
2: I I believe you're correct, yeah.
0: And that was the and everybody was, everybody was racing the Katana six hundred because Suzuki was paying the most contingency money. This was you know obviously before the factories really got involved in six hundred racing.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but the 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 Formula USA or the the uh, the Open, the Unlimited, whatever class it was that they ran, uh, it would part of the track was a drag strip, and the uh, the the big. Whatever the hell it was, I don't know, thousand cc something at the time. I, I don't, I couldn't tell you what machine it actually was. Um, would just rip down the the drag strip, and then when they got into the 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 road course, um, the the guys on the the two fifties, the two fifty two strokes, would spend the entire rest of the lap catching back up. Just based on corner speed, right <laughs> and then they'd get to the drag strip again, and the big bike would take off and you just and you never knew you couldn't tell if if it would if the two fifty guys would ever actually be able to stay in the draft of the big bike, yeah you know so it was it was, it was fun to watch interesting racing um, and it'd be fun to get that back, i think an unlimited class right.
2: Yeah, I, I I agree with you totally on that one. Um, I had the beginning of one of those FUSA races from back in the day. Um, it was like the first two or three minutes of the of the uh, of the show, and it was from like '92 or '93 because there's a, a brief glimpse of Nikki Hayden riding a 125. Well, that's cool. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> YouTube nuked my account on, so it's gone. Yeah, really? Yeah.
0: Oh, did you did you talk about that in the show?
2: Yeah, they um, because I had the, the Edwards save on there, I'm guessing that somehow either someone narked or, um, I don't know, just whatever. But that disappeared, and a few others disappeared, although one or two were still up there, so I don't know what the deal was with that. So.
0: Dorna's got a bot, man.
2: Yeah, they must.
0: Got a bot that just crawls and finds stuff that's not supposed to be there, and then he complains.
2: They say, lawsuit! We
0: that's- don't want anybody watching our product... That's
2: not paying for it.
0: No, it's you know, that's it, 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 that's like uh, the recording industry. They just don't get it.
2: No. So no. this is called exposure. More people come across it, more people might be interested, more people might buy the subscription to your service. I'm trying <laughs> to do this for free for you. It's like charging. <laughs> it's like if I'm a print newspaper, you're not going to charge me anything for credential. But if I'm an electronic media, I got to pay you a thousand euro. Um, let's see. I'm more immediate. But you're afraid I'm competing with you. Okay.
1: No.
2: Yeah. Some people get it, some people don't. This is very true. So long long way around about it. Um, what do you think uh any any thoughts going forward or any predictions of what's gonna happen with the AMA with this whole new Day- Daytona Motorsports group taking over? You think it's I good, think- bad, or just don't know?
0: I initially thought, thank God, Edmondson's back. Mm-hmm. Um, that was my very first thought. I was like, oh, that's so cool. Um, after reading the stuff on on Dean's site today, if it comes down to 600s being the premier class, um, I'll have to uh, rescind my warm and fuzzy feeling that I had and uh, jump on the Suzuki bandwagon and say, bullshit. Yeah. So, you know, it's just ridiculous, but uh we'll know a barber I guess, right? Or after barber?
2: Yeah, supposedly after barber they're going to have a some type of announcement.
0: Yeah. So, you know, I I wish they would just come out and say, "Look, we're going to do uh 15 weekends World Superbike format, World Superbike rules." And then sure the, the world the
2: Japan the Japanese factories would probably be happy with that because they're like, "Oh, cool! Now we can, you know, amortize some of this stuff." Yeah,
0: <laughs> exactly. And American Honda could do what they need to do. They can just call uh, Tenkada and go, "Can we have a couple bikes, please?"
2: Um, <laughs> I've been saying know. that for a while now,
0: <laughs> and and it would, you know, I, I honestly think that that we would have better AMA racing were we to go that direction, including allowing the ducks back.
2: Mm-hmm. You
0: know, we need to have. Um, so, hey, good bad, I don't know. I'll I'll reserve judgment until after they make an official announcement.
2: Yeah. I I'm with you on that. I think your top class needs to have your best riders on the hardest to ride machines.
0: There they it is. The hardest to be, machines. Yeah, they
2: need to be a little hairy, they need to be a little nasty, a little evil to show that, you know, it takes the top level person to ride this.
0: You know, of course, see. now the interesting that you say that though. and – I don't know how deep into this you really want to go, but we had that in uh, the 500cc world championship,
2: mm-hmm. and and I and I would even argue the last year or two of the 990s. There was yeah, some electronics well, starting to come in, but it wasn't over overbearing. I would say we had that
0: the first three years of the 990s.
2: Okay,
0: right, and my point being that we had. The nasty machines, even though the, going the big bang on the two-strokes tamed them somewhat, and the electronics were starting to come in even then, um, what we had was, um, and, and I, I, I'm not going to count the rainy years because though there was no domination throughout the season. There was uh, the best racer won those championships, no question about it. But as soon as Dune started winning, right, you had the nastiest bike and the best riders,
2: mm-hmm. even
0: though uh, we were missing a couple of guys, um, and and there was total domination by one manufacturer, mm-hmm. and that didn't stop until Rossi changed gears or changed gear, if you will, to over to Yamaha, and and even when he changed, right, he still continued to to win to dominate essentially that he could do anything he wanted at any time on the track, anywhere, and win the race. No, that's true. Right? He he could get penalized 10 seconds and get pissed off and go win by 11. <laughs> right. right. Right? Right. So <laughs> uh, I think that what, what DMG is going to end up doing is is uh, dismantling that because we have that right now in AMA.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That's what we have right now, and they need to dismantle that. Um, I don't know that six hundreds are the answer, but I, I, I think that the I think we need to have the big bikes being the premier class. But um, I, I think that that making the motorcycles more um, um, equally balanced, if you will, I, I'm trying to find the right word uh, for that. But but making them so that that it's not Quite maybe as hard to ride.
2: Okay. Hmm. No, fair enough. Um, we talked a little bit about this before uh, before we started recording, um, but it sounds like you're pretty excited about World Supers returning um, to the U.S. and and on what should be a pretty decent track.
0: I I am excited. I, I like I said I, when I when I first started watching road racing, obviously you know went to Willow Springs, uh, did that quite a few times. It was fun to watch that. Uh, got into this is when it was the ARRA out, out at Will the American Road Racing Association um, raced a little bit doing that uh, on the Hurricane um, and then you know they started having the 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 GPS at Laguna and you know I was nineteen and stupid and unemployed and and just you know just being a dumb kid really. I never got to go see those guys race, even though it was up at Laguna. I was living in Southern California at the time. Um, so when I moved to San Jose, and that was in 90 – God, when did we move? 94. Uh, 95 was the first year that they had World Supers there.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: so I bought the three-day pass thing, and I, I rode my uh, – uh, God, I had! A, I think I had a Goof Two at the time, 600 F2 at the time. Uh, rode that down there for three days, and and I, I the first day I get there, I, I you know ride up to the front entrance and I show my little ticket thing. I'm like, yeah, go down this way, and uh, they put you on the uh, the service road. I went to the right and down towards uh, the Turn Five parking area. And at the time, you you could I rode my my bike into the pits. There was no. Uh, who we deal about pit passes and all. So I rode my motorcycle. The, the guys were waving me down into the pits to park there. <laughs> I parked at the fence um, where the, the Dunlop Bridge is.
2: Okay.
0: Right? And you could go anywhere you wanted in the pits. You could go out into hot pit lane. You could go out to the pit wall and shoot the guys coming down the front straight with your little you know home disc camera at the time. And nobody said boo. Nobody said it. They, they just yeah. It was open and friendly, and uh, you know you could go talk to the racers, and it was it was you know they were you know generally pretty cool. Um, and so I've I've been ever since then just a, a big fan of World Supers, the the way they run their paddock, and um, the 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 names that they were having. You know, for a long time, and, and starting to get back a little bit now, uh, we're just it, it appeals to me greatly. And getting out to Utah, I, I really would like to be able to do that uh, this year. I would I'd like to get back there. What's disappointing about it is that they're not going to run the bikes on the same track, right? And I understand why they don't want the direct comparison. But if you don't want the direct comparison, then why have the AMA guys there at all?
2: Yeah, bring your full program.
0: Seriously. you
2: know they, That first year,
0: they, had, uh, they actually did that. They brought the, the, the World Super Sports, yep. and our 600 guys ran with them. I yeah. don't know if they did that second year or not. I, I remember they, they definitely did it the first year.
2: They did it uh, for a couple – I think they did it for a couple of years, and then they stopped because I always remember um, – I think it was 97 when Pridmore ended up on the podium. And everyone, mm-hmm. and I think everyone joked of like, "Oh, uh, Kerry must have brought the da- you know, that Daytona bike that got disqualified."
0: Now, <laughs> yeah, what That's I, I what I remember World Supers was waiting for a very long time for an AMA guy to win a World Superbike race at Laguna.
2: Mm-hmm. That took. Whew, that Christ was forever. Two, was that ninety nine or two thousand?
0: 99 or 2000, I I don't remember what year. I want to say 99.
2: Yeah, that was the first year I went, was 99.
0: God, was it, was it, oh, let's see. 95. Was Gobert,
2: was Gobert the first one to win, or was it Bostrom? Or was it Nicky?
0: No, it was, it was, it was a duck. And I believe it was Gobert.
2: Gobert. Yeah.
0: Um. I remember Miguel would always would he finish third. Yep. It was like, you know, whatever, four years running, he would finish third in both races.
2: You know? Yeah, that's where it Mike generally Hale made, the first Mike Hale made a splash there the one year. Oh yeah, Mike Hale.
0: I I've got a uh oh, where is it? I thought I had a poster of him up on my wall, but apparently I didn't. Huh, weird. I have one of Crevier on the uh on the Smoking Joe's F uh three. <laughs> Um. Yeah, that, I, I remember. Yeah, Miguel would Miguel finished third every race, and he'd probably he generally was the first Honda home. Um, this was on the RC 45, which right. Uh, my maybe my my second favorite Honda behind the RC 30, um, but it was it was really interesting that that. Uh, uh, I remember my my favorite year was '97 was when Kaczynski was on uh, the Castrol Honda. Oh, yep. And uh, I, I've got actually some really cool close-up shots of him from Hot Pit Lane uh, when he was going out for Super Bowl. It, for Super Bowl, you could go out Hot Pit. They just let you out there. Very cool. Um, <laughs> uh,
2: but I think they've tightened I, up I just, their security a little bit now. But.
0: <laughs> but, you know, not so much. Here's the thing. When they first did a co-weekend with the AMA, they used to have World Superbike Weekend, and the AMA riders would come and race World Superbike. Right. Right? AMA had their own weekend. Then they did their first co-weekend because Laguna lost another round in the courts and had to cut from five races to four races a year. So they cut out the AMA race and made one big race One big race weekend. When they did that, the AMA people were out in pit row, mm-hmm. and they wouldn't let you in a hot pit lane. It was the AMA folks, not the World Super guys. Okay. So – um. But 97, I remember uh, Kaczynski backing it in around the outside, going into two, passing Fogarty in both races. <laughs> and and anytime somebody
2: beats Fogarty, is
0: a good day for me. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay with that.
2: No, but the, I, re- m- I, remember, I, I remember you had your small group of Brits that were Fogarty fans and everyone else just jeering them and you know, <laughs> yelling at them. <laughs>
0: Uh, you know the, 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 there's no there's no questioning the man's talent uh you know the the ego could have done with a, a rebuild, but uh you know, watching watching Kaczynski on a motorcycle that no one else could make win other than Miguel mm-hmm. uh, uh backing that thing in around the outside going into two, and he did it both races to take the lead to, to and run off to win the thing um just just blew me away just blew me away. I, I knew who John Kaczynski was. Um, I had seen him race a few times. I, I was aware of his... his um,
2: Eccentricity?
0: His, his reputation, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and I actually... I, at one point, I knew um, a, a guy who played mechanic for him when he was an up-and-coming club guy. Um, but I... I Seriously, I'd, I had at the time thought that the RC-45 just was not the machine that was going to win a championship for Honda, and watching him do what he did with that thing was just like, holy crap. Obviously, someone can ride that machine. Mm-hmm.
2: So, it, yeah. It's funny because I remember – did you read Foggy's uh, autobiography?
0: I have not. I have no, not. It, That's, it's it, on my list it, of books I need to get.
2: It's worth a read because there's there's some funny stuff in there um some of the funny there's some funny stuff uh, by omission too, but that's another uh, entirely two hour discussion but uh it's funny <laughs> he foggy talked about how he couldn't ride that bike to save his life, and then he saw um like his bike and Kaczynski's bike kind of rolling side by side, and he's like, Well, why is his bike so much higher in the ass end and he's like, all of a sudden i put his suspension settings on, and I could ride the damn thing I'm like oh mm, wow. You 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 admitted that someone else might have an idea.
0: <laughs> Foggy was a joke on the Honda. Yeah, he 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 was he was so far out of his comfort zone on that machine, and and it was from what I under, and I, I don't know how deep into this again. There, there's so much information um, about these things. The RC forty five, the RC thirty was like a perfectly balanced machine. Everything about it was just right, and everyone who got on it won races.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: That was just kind of how it, it worked. was one of
2: those magical bikes. Yeah.
0: And so when Honda brought the RC45, everyone thought the same thing was going to happen. turns out that you cannot hardly make that thing turn correctly. The front end is almost impossible to get right. Mm-hmm. Um, and from what, and what I heard, I, I don't know any truth to this at all, but what I heard was the issue was the positioning of the motor in the frame, that it was uh, like a centimeter to a centimeter and a half, either too far forward or too far back, I want to say too far back, to get a reasonable front end feel out of it, Um, and, and... like I said, the the only guys that ever won any championships, John Kaczynski won World Supers, and Miguel won AMA Superbike. Yep. Uh, I don't even remember what year it was that Miguel won. He was still Smoking 90, Joes.
2: 95, I think.
0: 95?
2: I think 95. That sticks in 95. my head. Might be. Uh,
0: I, I know he was on the Smoking Joes team. That's all I remember from that. Um, but that, that bike... Uh, just didn't quite pan out the way i yeah. thought it would. But anyways, though, World Supers. Yes, I w- I want to go to Utah. I want to go check the racing out there. I'd like to go to the track, see the facility, and and uh, see if the the atmosphere with the World Supers is still the same or not.
2: Yeah, and there's enough big name people in there. I think it should be it should be pretty good. And there's a couple, you know, new got guy, newer guys in there. I think who could uh, who could do pretty well throughout the year.
0: Yeah, no, I think North we're going to get some good races.
2: Yeah, yeah. This Neukirchner kid, if he can stay healthy and learn to manage his tires, um, I mean, even looking if you look back a couple of years ago when he rode for the one year for Calafi, it's like mm-hmm. he's he's got the talent. He just needs to be on the on reasonable equipment.
0: I I was having watched him. I was actually surprised at how well he did. Honestly, I, <laughs> I thought he was a reasonable rider. I didn't think that he was um, quite that of good. that level yet. Okay. But
2: uh, apparently, I was wrong. <laughs> yeah, I figured him, yeah, you know, courser Cors- when he decides to ride aggressively he still has a little bit left in the tank. Thank, thankfully, although you know, he's got to ride aggressively to get there. Haga as well. He's Haga. Yeah. Max seems to be in a good mental state, so that's cool. Uh, Bayless is well. He's Troy Bayless. Bayless. <laughs> and because- then, yeah, and um, and then we have my boy uh, Ruben. Spider Man. Yes, I'm a big uh, for, for for reasons I can't really fully describe, I'm I'm, I'm a big Ruben Zausmark. mark. <laughs> Maybe because he is just kind of like a little little crazy, a little goofy, and just pushes it over the edge. He's sort of like that Schwanz type of rider. He's just, you know, elbows and elbows and knees and pushes it too hard when he really shouldn't.
0: Yeah, well know. Kevin's his hero, right? Isn't that, isn't that, I think, I, I I that think so.
2: I think I think you're right, yeah. No. So. I, 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 I I like
0: him, and I, I'm sad that he he's not lived up to his potential.
2: Yeah,
0: I really think he he could be uh, that good, good enough to 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 beat everyone out there. Really, um, Haga. Honestly, last year I thought was his best last chance to win a championship. And I, 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 as good as he is, I, I just don't think that the same um, cockiness, if you will, arrogance, whatever, it's not there anymore. It's gone. Mm. And uh, without that, it's he's he's not he's not a Wayne Rainey type of rider. He's not the thinking, uh, strategic racer. That's not what he does
2: he's a emotional push it kind of he's a Bostrom type rider he's got to surf that edge
0: yeah he hangs it out there and when he's not doing that he's not winning yeah um uh, and granted you know the electronics are kind of coming into play there too right so you got to kind of rein that in a little bit but the, he seems to be lacking in the the uh the emotional side if you will yeah so i, I expect I expect Bayless to win the championship this year. Uh, Biaggi, no chance. Not, not on that machine. But uh, I, we could see some interesting stuff out of Cheka.
2: Well, we know first we know the team is good. The bike mm-hmm. seems to be pretty solid. I mean, it's you know we were talking about how the GSXR was winning all the, you know, all the street bike shoot offs, but apparently this new Fireblade's you know supposed to be the cat's meow. So. Yeah, good bike. It's ugly you know as that, hell, but, but <laughs> I'm sorry, the nose is ugly as hell, but you know the rest of it's not too bad.
0: You know, when I first here's here's here, here we go flashback time right again. When I first saw a profile view of the the new double R, I said, oh, "Man, that reminds me of a bike that I have seen before," and I had to really rack my brain for like. Fifteen minutes of just staring at that picture to put it together, you look at a straight profile shot of that motorcycle and the fairing design and then slap up a profile shot of any year eighty four to eighty six ninja nine hundred
2: wow oh wow not, <laughs> that's not the
0: nose because the nose you know the the front nose of the the ninja nine was was very g p z so you can of cut that off but the front- the the lower fairings the the lowers uh coming off from just beneath the handlebars or the the clip ons and down. Hmm. It it's got that it that's just what it reminded me of. It was an Ninja nine hundred. I was like, damn, that's what that is.
2: <laughs> right, I'm gonna have to go look I'm gonna have to go I'm gonna have to pull some of the old pictures up and, and look at that. So <laughs> it was funny it's like for a bike that was sort of Yep, sorry about that.
0: Yeah.
2: You're gonna say from uh from a eighty six?
0: I was thinking it's got to be more in that range because I think the 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 first year the Ninja 900 they didn't have the full fairings, so you'd have yep. to go a couple model model years into that machine. But that that's what it reminded me of.
2: It was funny because I, I I looked at that bike. I mean, I sat on the bike and walked around it and shot pictures at the Cycle World show and I'm like yeah, it just mm, doesn't. I mean, it was nice. It felt it actually felt good when you sat on the bike. It was nice and light and balanced, but. Just the, couldn't get over the looks, and then you see it when it's all stripped down with race bodywork, and, and all of a sudden, it was like, man, you put you, you do its hair, you put a little makeup on it, all of a sudden, it's pretty hot. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when those first pictures came out from the test at uh, at Fontucky, I'm like, wow, that, that cleans up pretty nice. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, you don't have to worry about all that street crap, right?
2: Yeah, exactly, and that really is what it was. It was just all that stuff that hangs off for the street stuff. It really killed the lines of it, so oh anyways well, oh, hey we uh we've kept you for uh for a while here and i know you're probably you back to the family and stuff but uh going forward are we going to hear from uh, ray duvall anymore or piping in here and there or is it you'll see me at a few races a year
0: i honestly don't know couldn't tell you i i've let the website lapse obviously and and uh um, killed my lips account so as far as uh, getting back into the putting shows out probably not um although you know you never know can't never say never right Right. um but uh you know i'm 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 good with where i'm at no complaints that's
2: cool well uh ray appreciate you uh being on the show with us and uh we'll have to do this again
0: thanks for having me it was a blast being here
2: so there you go uh it was really good to catch up with Ray, and, and and as I said to him after we hung up the call, you know, there's parts of it where he's going on, where he's talking about some things, and he's articulating some positions, and uh, I'm just sitting there listening to it and going, man, I'm I'm right back in the pocket listening to him on the knee drag, and it's like I ha- like it hasn't missed a beat. So f- for me, it was good to catch up with Ray, and I hope you enjoyed that um, feedback at RumblestripRadio at gmail.com, and uh, you know, I think you can still probably hit Ray up uh, on his old emails too, and uh, I'm sure he would be happy to hear from you guys as well. So we are going to wrap up the show. And, yes, I know we're stretching into a bit of a long show here, longer than I had expected it to be, but here we go. I need to spend some time talking about this whole deal with the Daytona Motorsports Group and what's going on with this proposed new rules package. And to uh, borrow uh, a line from from my partner over at the uh, Live Fast Racing uh, and and the live fast racing podcast, John Hall, uh, get ready with that delay button. So actually, we won't uh, do too much. I'll keep it under control for the most part. I was let's let's just start out in saying that while I had some hesitations uh, going into this whole deal with with this particular group buying uh, buying the marketing and. and and the rights to actually run the series. I I definitely had some hesitations. I thought because of the people involved that we might be okay, that things might work out, that things would get better. That all blew up this week. Um, It started a couple days ago with, uh, well, we had heard some things going on that the meeting between Roger and Suzuki, and this might have even been last week, uh, hadn't gone so well um, and that they were working their way through the through the Big Four uh, down in California, they uh, didn't bother to head up into San Jose and to Cupertino to talk to the Ducati people. I guess they just took them for granted. And I guess things got a little better depending on who they talked to, but apparently the meeting at Suzuki did not go well at all. And if you want to know how well that didn't go, uh, then I would uh, suggest you uh, head on over to uh, Dean's World, also known as Superbike Planet, and read the interview uh, with Mel Harris. Now, th- I saw people take exception to a couple things Mel said just in how he said that. You know, it was kind of what was phrased in that. Um, Mel kind of taking credit for Suzuki doing what it's doing. Uh, I, I don't think what Pete, you know, and, and like, well, it's Matt and Ben, they're riding the bikes. It's, you know, they're the ones that are responsible for the championship. I don't think that people fully understand, um, uh, the depth of how hard Mel Harris has pushed to get Suzuki's racing program to where it is today and support some of the riders it has over the years. And I just leave it at that. He's for the most part, one of the, one of the good guys in the sport, he, you know, like everyone else, he's got his quirks. Um, yeah. And if you've met a sane motorcycle person, sane person in the motorcycle industry, well, then um, that might be one of the three or four that uh, are the exception that proves proves the rule. But that that's essentially what he was saying is that he's he's taking he's he's taking a little credit and he's 60 some years old. He can take a he can take some credit uh, as for the last 15 or 20 years. He's been the guy who's pushed Suzuki Motorsports in in, in the motorcycle field to get it to where it is. Uh, but apparently that meeting just didn't go well. Um, I think then Dean then talked to uh, Keith McCarthy at Yamaha and things seem to have gone a little bit better there, Uh, but there certainly were some issues there. I haven't heard from, uh, from the Honda, the Kawasaki people, or at least if he talked to people there, uh, he didn't post it. Uh, I don't believe anyways, but the the thing with Mel was you read that and you're just like, Oh boy, here we go. This is going to be good. So, Pretty much everything you could think of that they could do wrong, I think they have done wrong. Now, if you remember after Daytona, um, you know it was sort of announced that there would be superbikes running the 200 next year. Well, I guess under their rules, technically, they are going to be running superbikes next year. They're running Daytona superbikes. Not just superbikes, Daytona superbikes. And what's a Daytona superbike? It's a formula extreme bike it's essentially what Ari and Honda put on on the on the grid this year, right if you believe all the crank uh all the stuff with the uh with the with the engine crank and all that other stuff so basically uh, oh but I'm sorry, but it's not an unlimited deal you know it's not like unlimited thing. it's gonna be a horsepower limited daytona superbike series, huh horsepower limited. 600 Superbike. And that, my friends, is your premier class. Well, it's no wonder if they presented that, that Mel Harris had a shit fit. You know, as I said to one of my friends who I was talking to earlier today, you know, it's no wonder that Mel Harris wanted to fight these guys. He's like, what? He wanted to fight them. There was going to be I'm like, metaphorically speaking, okay. Uh, while he certainly didn't, uh, you know, kick him in the ass out the door and told him don't let the door to hit him on that on that same ass on the way out, I get the feeling that it wasn't too far removed from that. Now you got to understand Suzuki's position; they've won what six of the six, eight out of the last ten. Eight out of the last nine, eight out of the last ten Superbike championships in the United States. And they focus on the thousands, not only in Superbike, but I think, you know, in in Superstock as well. They, they're focused not so much on the 600s, even though they sell a boatload of that. Club racers, what do they buy? Suzuki 1000s. What do 90% of the privateers out there who ride in Superbike and Superstock buy? What do they buy? Suzuki 1000s. Suzuki sells a crap ton of GSXR 1000s. They, in a sense, have got what, you know, they've put a lot of money into this program and they're getting their bang for their buck, not only from racing, but you look out on the street bike, guys, and what do you see? You see another crap ton of GSXR 1000s out there. So from their standpoint, this is working tremendously well. And they've used, they you know, and they've leveraged Ben and Matt fairly well um, in their marketing. And, you know, we have heard Ray talk about that he just feels that, in general, the Suzuki is, is just, a, in general, a better machine across the board. So, there you go. So, initially, it looks like your premier class is a 600 Superbike horsepower limited class. So, Mel's probably going, you know, throws up the big, you know, in bold letters, 86 font type WTF, right? Really, what are we going to do? Well, here's the thing, my friends. Uh, and the geniuses that have come up with this. And I am going to read from, you know, journalistic integrity, maybe notwithstanding over at MotorcycleNews.com or .co.uk, whatever it is. And uh, this does come from uh, John Ulrich's favorite uh, current motorcycle journalist, Henny Ray Abrams. These are some of the things of what the new, or I'm sorry, what the old Superbike program is. We're not going to call them superbikes anymore because, remember, those aren't the premier class, and we can't call them superbikes okay? because we don't just have superbikes. Remember, we have Daytona superbikes. So what are we going to do with these 1,000-cc classes? I'm going to read verbatim uh, from this article um, that, was, that was posted on MCN uh, by Henny Ray Abrams. Superbikes downgraded. Please pay attention, okay? I, I, seriously, I'm just going to read this verbatim, but this is comical. Leaderbike. What a fantastic name for a class. Leaderbike. Leaderbike will replace Superbikes as the big bike class in 2009. Based mostly, though not entirely, on the AMA Superbike rules that the teams crafted over the course of the past year. Leaderbike gives the factories a place to race their 1,000 cc's, but at a cost to the privateer, Oh, and by the way, there will be no purse. Let me say that again for you kids. There will be no purse. Genius. So this is a price, this is a place to race for the privateers and at a cost for the privateers, but we're not going to put a purse up for those privateers. That alone will guarantee that the class won't be attractive to privateers. Yep, who rely entirely on contingency money. Because the class will likely be filled with factory riders, Edmondson's doesn't need to see an offer for the doesn't need to see doesn't see the need to offer a purse. Every major manufacturer which takes parks part has to guarantee a minimum of four bikes in qualifying. The smaller brands such as Ducati, uh, KTM, uh, will likely only need to be two bikes. The maximum, yeah, this is another bit of genius, the maximum number of each brand on the grid is limited to six. So for instance, eight Suzuki's try to qualify, only six will make the grid. So not only do you have to try and qualify based on time, you have to qualify based on other bikes of that brand in the class. Okay. The leader bike will have spec tires bombshell spec fuel I'm okay with spec fuel as well as the rules will maintain uh, stable for two years. I'm okay with spec fuel because they'll probably use uh yeah like a Sunoco one ten purple thing and it's like seven or eight bucks a gallon uh and that's to eliminate some of these forty to eighty dollar a gallon type of crazy fuels that some of these teams are using and I'm okay with that 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 is a legit cost saving thing and um, it makes it much easier, less likely all these fuel issues of oxygenation and all this crap we've seen over the last few years. So I, I'm actually okay with that spec tires. Uh, you can take it or leave it. Essentially, it's Dunlop spec tires. But what are the any anyone anyone taking money uh, on the spec tires that that they're going to be Pirelli? Seriously. Uh, And, and oh, yes, by the way, in case you're wondering, I'm sure Jim Allen and the people at Dunlap have already retained attorneys. uh, uh, I'm sorry. They have already retained counsel previous to these announcements. Uh, And I'm sure they're getting lawyered up very well with stacks of documents and, and research so that as soon as Pirelli spec tires are announced across the board, they'll be filing suit because they have. Uh, contracts with all the the major teams, you know, save for uh, Attack Kawasaki, uh, uh, M4M Go, John Ulrich's team, uh, and and a few others. You know, they have Dunlop has a contract with these people through 2009. So I'm waiting for that lawsuit, please. Yeah. So let's talk about um, some of the other things in here. The. The Daytona Superbike is for heavily restricted middleweights with a 130-horsepower limit. Spec tires, spec fuel, and a stock ECU must be used. Race officials will have spare production ECUs on hand to swap out at any time. Here's the thing. Unless Unless you eliminate things like power commanders and associated tuning boxes, It doesn't matter because you can put software in there that overrides a stock ECU. So it's all bogus. And all the rider has to do is hit a couple switches in between uh, when they come off the grid and when they go to the horsepower dyno at the end of the race, or just based on the number of times it was turned on and turned off, or a few other things, a little RF remote control. It's easy to beat. You're not going to go crazy with it, but, you know, you might have 127 horsepower when you get to the dyno, but while you were racing, you had 136, okay? These things are really easy to fool, and that is just, and I've seen it done, all right? I will just say I have seen it done at a race, and it was well known what was going on, but because they couldn't catch them in the act of doing it, or didn't know exactly the process way in which they circumnavigated the rules. They couldn't get them because once they got on the horsepower dyno, hey, it's all good. We we're well within the range here. You know, two in the bag. You know, 185 horsepower is the limit, and we're at 183.2. We're legal. We win the race. Uh, what we didn't know is that we had 193 during the race, and that's why we were able to win. So. Um, <coughs> The Daytona Superbikes will have a specified power to weight ratio based on the combined rider motorcycle weight. I'm almost okay with that. That's maybe one of the few sane ideas, but not so much. Um, the use of factory one off parts will be prohibited. So I have a premier Superbike class where prototype parts and homologated, special homologated parts, if find the factory, aren't allowed. Okay. No more HRC kit radiators. Only homologated, available, uh, affordable aftermarket components only, as the rule states. DMG officials believe 10 manufacturers produce eligible motorcycles. Superpole is being considered, though no decision has been made. Now I'm going to go to uh, something else here. Um, so, because it talks about a little bit more, this is from the official release. This is from the official release, and this is what was posted up on Road Racing World. Daytona Superbikes will be homologated, and available motorcycles will include middleweight performance, horsepower limits, and will have a targeted specific uh, power-to-weight ratios, rider weight included. The class will have a single tire supplier, single fuel supplier, regular ECUs, homologated parts, blah, blah, blah. Sorry, I was reading from the wrong paragraph. Daytona Superbikes will be the premier class, and will race twice on a typical weekend, once on Saturday, once on Sunday. It will have a rule structure designed to, quote-unquote, Promote parity and competition among twins, triples, and four-cylinder machines, allowing participation from the maximum number of brands from around the world. DMG uh, DMG's presentation states that 10 manufacturers, including Aprilia, BMW, Buell, Ducati, Honda, Kawasaki, KTM, Suzuki, Triumph, and Yamaha, currently offer a motorcycle eligible in the class. Well, what that means for your Ducati is that an 848 will be eligible. Well, I guess since it's eligible in... From the extreme, it will be eligible uh, for this triumph. your seventy five. Uh, BMW. Uh, ooh, what are we going to do for BMW? The maybe that HP two bike. I don't know. We may see some type of eight hundred parallel. You know that eight hundred parallel twin motor. They're gonna might have to come up with something for that. Um, Aprilia. I'm trying to figure out what Aprilia is going to do because literally the only thing they have they could run in there is the 750 shiver and i'm not exactly sure how well that's going to stack up although i suppose we can come up with the you know the factory r model shiver that's i don't know um and then i guess you know honda kawasaki suzuki yamaha that's pretty obvious i don't think ktm currently has you know what are we gonna see the rc8 junior or something like that i do they have a V-twin that is under 850 CCs and a sport bike chassis currently? I don't think so. So I'll be very interested to see how that uh, presents itself. And then, the, then what's not there were some things that weren't stated is that they were g- going to require some of these guys to put, you know, all factories to put minimum of like three or four bikes on the grid, even for the Daytona Superbikes. Sorry, I'm just. OK, I'm probably getting a little annoying with that, but uh, also included in the weekend structure will be Moto ST, which will be run on, I believe, Saturday. Uh, in its current configuration of its three different classes uh, and there'll be 250 mile races and I think those will be run on Saturday and then some type something uh, resembling the K, you know, the uh, Red Bull uh, Rookies Cup thing, although they haven't said that's what it's going to be. Essentially, it's probably what it's going to be. Uh, day one, it's a three-day deal, but no real racing on day one. Day one will include move-in and parking, tech inspection, press announcements and interviews, VIP and sponsor rides, and practice one hour. Oh, sorry, practice one hour each for Daytona Superbikes and Leader bikes, and two hours of Moto ST. Day two will include a practice and fan walk for all classes, uh, practice and qualifying for all classes. Pre-race ceremonies include a fan walk, Daytona race one hour maximum, and a 250-mile. Moto S T race three hours maximum. Day three will include warm-up sessions for Daytona Superbikes, Leader Bikes, and the Specialty Class. On track, fan activities, pre-race ceremonies, and fan walk. Daytona Superbike Race 2, one-hour maximum. Specialty Race, 40 minutes maximum. And the Leader Bike Race, one-hour maximum. Okay, let's break this down a little bit more. First off, if you know an upcoming racer in the United States a, who wants to make their way over to Europe to race in World Superbike or in any of the MotoGP classes, uh, Premier 250, 125, they need to leave the United States now. Get them racing in Europe Now. That is the only chance they're going to have, because someone tell me how the premier class of Daytona superbikes and a 130 horsepower limit is going to prepare anyone for any other thing in the world. Okay, that is moronic. Just absolutely nine. And I'd like to drop a string of four-letter word bombs in a row, but I'm going to w- withhold for now. I mean, seriously, you're going to take the American Superbike Championship, which is a premier level national championship series. The only thing that really holds close on a national championship status is the British series. Now, they made some changes and there was some heart, you know, some some sniping on that. But for the most part, people were reasonably happy with how that came out. At least you have Superbikes. True open class leader bikes racing as your premier class in the series, and you, know, you can see a progression: British superbike, World superbike, your you know British superbike, maybe you know two fifty, one two, whatever. There's a logical conclusion of how that series can feed into something else. But please explain to me how your premier top shelf class is a middleweight, horsepower-limited class. Seriously, a MotoGP 250 bike produces about 115-ish horsepower and weighs uh, 220 pounds, roughly, if memory serves. That's about, I think that's about right and that's sort of, you know, the medium class in Moto GP, right? I mean, you can make a nice living. Let's let's call that the 600 supersport level class if we're comparing uh, America to Moto GP in the sense that Moto GP is a current superbike, 250 is sort of like 600 supersport. I think that's a, a a pretty fair analogy. Because you can make a very nice living right racing in 250 even if you never make it to Moto GP and as many people know, there's a lot of riders uh, Top-level riders who can make a really nice living r- racing 600 Super Sport. Got are right, you with me so far? So a Daytona Superbike will weigh 360 pounds roughly, and have 130 horsepower, and that's your premier class. So the British Superbike series has 190-ish, 200-ish horsepower bikes. And World Superbike, 200-plus horsepower bikes, even the Japanese Superbikes, 200-plus. But, uh, yeah, America, who's all about the cubic inch, all about cubic inches, all about power, we're going to take our series and neuter it. We're going to cut its balls off and throw it away. You have to be fucking kidding me. Seriously, did Roger and Jim and whoever else is involved with that, you know, when when they agreed to the hard liquor guys coming into NASCAR, did Crown Royal and Jack Daniel send them, like, you know, multiple crates full of booze down to Daytona, and they came up with this package while they were slamming bottles? I mean, seriously. You, you. This is unbelievably how horribly bad this is okay you didn't need to reinvent the wheel but you did anyways and it's no longer round. you've got like triangular or something like that i don't know what the hell this thing is look the blueprint was already there okay whether you want to take it and copy world superbike and and come up with an agreement with uh with the Felimni group saying, hey, you know, what we really want to do is we we want to have the U.S. as a comparable series to you uh, and a similar rules package, and I know a lot of the manufacturers that we've talked to would really like that because it would make their life easier as far as producing bikes, so what this is what we'd like to do, and you know what they would have said? Okay, that sounds like a really good idea. They come to some general-level agreement, and everybody walks away happy, and everyone says, finally, someone was smart enough to look at a package um, you know, and Americans can go to World Superbike. World Superbike can go to America. The manufacturers love us because essentially the bikes they produce for the American series also work in World Superbike, and vice versa. And bikes can be traded in between teams or sold between teams. You get the idea, right? I would have even been happy. You know, uh, 600 Super Sport. We want to. We want to shine that up a bit. And they just adopted world super stock rules or R- R- world super sport rules, which allow for some more engine modifications, right? Essentially, you know, generally basic type of chassis and stuff, but you eh, tweak the motor a little bit. Sounds good, right? That would have been a really good idea, too. And I think everyone would love that. But no, we can't we can't do something smart like that. We can't even do something smart like, OK, well, the Brits, what they did is they essentially took. And and their Superbike series is the chassis are still kind of, you know, advanced chassis. Um, they allow some welding and, you know, different forks and better brakes, different swing arms and things like that, but then restrict the motor a little bit to more like a super stockish type of motor. We can't even do something like that, which I think people would have been okay with, not happy with, but okay with. And once again, the manufacturers, I think, would have been um, – Reasonably happy with that just because once again they, you know, they're putting something together for the British series. There's some heavy manufacturer involvement over there. And well, okay, that transfers over to the American series. Can we have that? No. Why? Makes too much goddamn sense. Right? The blueprint is out there in flashing LEDs, flashing neon, whatever you want, okay? It's on a giant jumbotron sitting out there just all you got to do is look hey it's right there this makes so much sense on so many levels and what are we going to do daytona super bikes unbelievable seriously if you see these guys and i can't advocate violence okay i, I can't i can't tell you that you what you need to do is get these guys and, and throw them for, you know, a Detroit-level beatdown. But you need to get these guys in a corner, if you see them anywhere, and give them a piece of your mind. Don't resort to physical violence, please. I am not advocating that at all. I'd like to, but I'm not, and I can't. But, I mean, seriously, Did you know, whether it was the booze bottles hiding down in, you know, in in Daytona, uh, whether they made a trip to Miami and and got into the Fed pen where they confiscate all the cocaine or something. These guys, I don't know where they came up with this. I don't know where they came up with this. Now, after all this, you got to ask yourself, is there any hope for us at all? There is one tenth of one percent of hope left. And this is where it comes from. The agreement for the DMG to take over all this stuff has yet to be signed. According to John Ulrich, two days ago on the We're Aboard, uh, in a long-threaded discussion, the deal has not been officially signed as of uh, the 15th, the 16th of April. Why? I don't know. You know, I'm assuming everything's in place. Maybe everyone's just lawyering up at this point. I don't know. But that's your one-tenth of one percent of hope that something might happen to fix all this. Do I believe it's going to happen? No. And what I'm really waiting for is a couple riders and a couple team managers to let it fly. And I can't wait. It's going to be real interesting after, uh, after this race this weekend at Barber. I mean, I can't wait. Well, normally uh normally I would say, you know, Greg White's going to get up there, but Greg White's going to be up in the booth this weekend doing the play-by-play. God help us all. Um but someone will be down there with a mic, and I can't wait for them to ask Matt Mladin, say, "Matt, what do you think about all these rule changes?" <laughs> and uh if Matt uh, Matt who's been learning uh, I, I don't know whether he got, you know, sent to detention um or, you know, got sent back to Suzuki finishing school. And there actually is a Suzuki finishing school for PR. That's not a joke. There actually is. Um, He'll say, mate, what I have to say about this, you can't say on TV. So I'm just waiting for one of the print journalists to just let it fly. And uh, especially if the Pirelli thing goes through, which is what I think it is. Um, I think you'll see a pretty big article in Road Racer X about this. Okay. Okay. I like Chris Johnham. I respect Chris Johnham a ton. But there's a little bit of conflict of interest in this, and and, and I'll explain this for those of you who don't know. I think Road Racer X is one of the best print magazines that we have access to in the U.S. Okay, I I enjoy the hell out of this, and I enjoy uh, what Chris puts together. But on the staff of Road Racer X and the person who covers the AMA series is Laurel Allen. Laurel Allen is the daughter of Jim Allen, who's responsible for running Dunlop's program in the AMA. Is that a potential a potential conflict of interest? Seems like it to me. So will we see something if Pirelli gets in there and is a spec tire where we might see a bit more of the Dunlop side of the issue? Ooh, maybe. So I'm very interested to see what comes out of there. And understand I understand I'm not saying one way or the other whether it's good or bad i'm just saying i want to see this thing blow up i really do i was so so hopeful that this new regime was going to be better than the old regime i mean really how how you know to uh to quote jeremy clarkson on top gear really how hard could it be well apparently (laughs) it was really hard And I don't get it. I mean, seriously, I don't get it. How could you screw this up so bad? Moto ST, the three classes of Moto ST is a support class. I understand why they did it. Okay. You want an endurance, you know, theoretical semi-endurance series as part of a sprint race weekend. No. Um... I can see sprint races supporting an endurance series. You see it all around the world. But a endurance series supporting a sprint series. No. Sorry. Can't help you on that one. <sighs> Daytona Superbikes. A horsepower limited middleweight class as your premier class. Now, those, those, they're, here's how they're going to spin it. Well, we're, what we're doing is... We're on top of the curve. In fact, we're ahead of the curve because we're seeing speeds get so fast that bikes are outgrowing the tracks, and what we're doing here is the ability for the best riders to be on closely competitive bikes uh, on the tracks that we have available to us in the United States without presenting a danger to themselves, the fans, or the track. Horse shit. Okay, number one, if they want to race on some of these tracks, then fix the tracks. I'm, I understand and know that the operating margins for some of these tracks are near non-existent. I understand that. I know this for a fact because, well, I announce at a lot of racetracks. I've seen how it happens. I've seen, I know what goes on. I understand the economics of these things. But if you outgrow a racetrack, then you outgrow a racetrack. There are reasons we no longer go to uh, New Hampshire and Phoenix and a few other tracks that are out there, Topeka, um, among others, we shouldn't be going to Daytona. I mean, gee, you know, here's the thing Daytona's such a safe track that we can't run our premier series as the headline race at what supposedly is the largest race of the year. Okay? Do you, you understand what I mean? That'd be like saying, if we want to put it in Daytona terms, we can't run the Sprint Cup series at Daytona because it's dangerous. Uh, We're going to have to run uh, 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 late models, okay? (laughs) Why? Uh, Because they only go 150 miles an hour, and once we get approaching 195 miles an hour, it's too dangerous for them. Well, fix the damn track. Seriously, fix the damn track. The Premier Series should be the hardest, nastiest, ugliest bikes to ride. Seriously, it should take the best riders that you have to take these bikes and make them perform to their maximum. Period. End of story. And I know we talked a little bit about this with Ray, but honest to God, that is how I feel. Taking the MotoGP from 990 to 800, bullshit why it makes the bikes less hairy and more of these Midget racers can come in uh, on a bike that you can dial in horsepower in different ways, makes it a little more maneuverable. Uh, you know, we can get our little tutus and our pink panties on here for some of these riders and make it easier to ride. It's still a bitch of a bike to ride. I'm not going to say it's not, but let's see them get on the big nasty 990 and see how it works, right? And we can be all nice and fine. Although it's coming around, I'm seeing tires smoking up and backing into turns. And as we evolve, maybe it'll go back the way it was. You know, you're not going to stop engineers from trying to make more power. But still, your premier class, it's still, you know, the premier class in MotoGP didn't become 250s. And that's essentially what we're doing here. It's garbage. Seriously, it is garbage. And we'll end with that. I apologize a little bit for the long show. I apologize a little bit for that rant, but not really. Seriously, I, I I I slept on this thing. Part of the reason I didn't do a show yesterday is I saw this come out, and I'm like, "You kidding me, right?" Let me let me let me sleep on this a little bit. Let me think about this a little bit more. It's it it can't be this bad. It really can't be this bad. Guess what? <laughs> it's worse. Seriously, can't believe it. Feedback, please. I want to hear a lot of it. I really, seriously, if you if you have any any thoughts, take thirty seconds, drop me an email, rumblestripradio at gmail dot com, and let me know. Seriously, if you guys are getting this while you're down and and heading to Birmingham for the race, and going to be down there this weekend, Roger Edmondson's running around there this weekend, and and his whole you know band of merry men, find these people and give them a piece of your mind. Seriously. I'm actually surprised that what I've seen has been split as much as it have I I I couldn't believe it just wasn't an avalanche, you know, the basically the Hoover Dam breaking and you know, ten trillion cubic tons of water coming at coming down the down the spillway there. Rummelstrip radio gmail dot com. Let me know what you think. All right, let's get out of here. Um Yeah, sorry, I'm I'm still worked up on this stuff. Uh Look for uh, Live Fast Racing episode number 12 is out there. I think Live Fast Racing number 13 is going to be epic. Trust me, it's going to be epic uh, because we're going to talk about this and some other crap that's been going on. Um, if you haven't caught it, livefastracing.com. Uh, look for episode number 12. It's posted up there. Uh, you can go over to com and do a search for Live Fast Racing. You'll come across, across that and all the other shows we've done. Um, go hit that up. Uh, tell your friends, tell your family about uh, what's going on here and, I haven't listened to this. I don't know. Um, www.rumblestripradio.com is the website. Please, if you would be so kind, don't worry about donating to the show. I would encourage you to click on the link that's in the show notes or copy and paste the link that's in the show notes. Um, go, it's at the MS, uh, national MS website uh, for the bike ride that's happening here in southeast Michigan. And Jay and Kristen Cardinal, Uh, If you could uh, donate to them for the MS bike ride. Uh, If you don't know, they're doing it in my girlfriend's name uh, this year. And if you're a recent person on the show, maybe you don't know that she was diagnosed with MS back in uh, late October. Something we've been dealing with for a while. It's getting better, but still. it was very, very honored that they do this ride for her or do it in her name. So if you would donate to their cause, um, would uh, greatly appreciate it. Outro music this week. Um, I don't know how many of you're going to dig this it's it's very poppy um but it's it's more <laughs> and it's a huge contrast especially to some of the tone especially at the end of the show here uh, of how we've been but uh, this was a song that I first heard uh, a couple months ago uh, by uh, Mark Ronson who's uh, sort of well sort of semi well known in the in the pop world um and the singer on this song is uh Everyone's favorite UK female uh, singer slash drug addict Amy Winehouse, uh, but it's a really really cool song. I like it a ton. It's a it's a poppy tune. It has uh, a bit of that early David Bowie um, "Modern Love Let's Dance" type of feel to it. So we'll uh, we'll roll with that here for uh, for the outro music this week. And let you know that Rumble Strip Radio is a production of Raul Duke Media LLC and is protected under a Creative Commons license. Some rights are reserved. Until we talk to you again next time, hopefully with uh, a little more sanity, have fun, be good. Most importantly, keep it on two wheels. I'll talk to you soon.